Welcome to episode 68 of the Rich Roll Podcast with Matt Resigno. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey people, welcome to the show. My name is Rich Roll and this is the Rich Roll Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. What do we do here each week? I bring to you the best and the brightest, the most forward-thinking, paradigm-busting minds in health, fitness, wellness, diet, nutrition, athleticism, what else? Entrepreneurialism sometimes, and a few other curveballs in there. Anyway, with one goal in mind, to help you unlock and unleash your best, most authentic self. So I've had all different kinds of people on the show, doctors, nutritionists, entrepreneurs, world-class athletes, ultra-athletes, strength athletes, dietitians. Did I already say that? Doctors, nutritionists, I don't know, all different kinds of people. Anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in. If you've been listening, thanks for tuning in again. We love the support. We appreciate the support. And thanks, everybody, who took the time to vote for us uh, for a 2013 Stitcher Award. We've been nominated for Best Health and Lifestyle podcast. Uh, I might even go up to San Francisco to the big party, find out who wins. So anyway, thank you guys for the support. And also thank you for all the great feedback on last week's episode with Charlie Engel. He's certainly a uh, special guy for sure. One of those guys that uh, I feel like I, I can just meet and have an immediate shorthand with, you know, we speak the same language. And so doing that interview is really fun, but also really easy for me. There's just a, a sense of immediate uh, kind of friendship that I have with a guy like that and that kind of experience. So it was wonderful, and I can't wait to uh, keep you guys posted on his progress as he gets ready to uh, cross the United States on two feet, trying to break the uh, world record for fastest man to ever run across the the United States of America. It's so crazy, right? Uh, anyway, today on the show, we got a great guest, Matt Resigno. Matt's a guy who I also uh, had never met until uh, until I showed up to do the podcast with him, but also one of those guys that I feel like I know. He's kind of a recognized, well-known, uh, plant-based, vegan, uh, registered dietitian, um, <clears throat> and has co-authored a number of books, including uh, Matt Frazier's book, No Meat Athlete. So, you know, Matt, uh, he was a guest on the podcast, I don't know, this past summer. Uh, he, he authored No Meat Athlete, the book. He's been on the road, or he was on the road last summer, um, kind of going city to city with it. And Matt stopped in on some of the cities with him. But anyway, Matt uh, is responsible for the nutrition components of that book. And uh, he's a logical uh, guy to have on the podcast. So I was pleased uh, to be able to sit down with him and hash things out for a couple hours. So um, he's also a master's in public health and also, interestingly, a fellow ultra-endurance athlete. He has done the Furnace Creek 508 uh, three times solo. Uh, the Furnace Creek 508 is a 508-mile bike race. Uh, for people that also listen to Vinny Tortorich's uh, podcast, uh, America's Angerous Trainer, Vinny's also a veteran of the Furnace Creek 508. But uh, Matt has also done it as part of a relay a couple times on a fixie bike. And I think he might, that might be the only relay or people that have ever done the 508 on fixie gear bikes, which is crazy. He's done some ultra runs, and I didn't find out until after we finished the interview. 
and I turned the recorder off. He goes, oh, yeah, you know, I forgot to tell you, I also did the Norseman Triathlon, which is considered to be one of the most difficult uh, long-distance Ironman distance triathlons in the world. It takes place in Norway. I want to say, no, yeah, Norway. I was thinking Sweden, but I think it's Norway. Very far north. Uh, you swim in unbelievably cold water and <laughs> cycle through uh, snow-covered lands, and uh, you ultimately run up this mountain. I don't know that much about it. I've seen videos of it, and it just looks epic and extraordinary, something that's definitely on my bucket list. And I couldn't believe that I didn't uh, know that he had done it until after <laughs> we'd stopped recording, as I would have loved to have talked to him about it. So maybe I'll have him on again. But anyway, we get into all sorts of stuff, ultra-distance training, uh, vegan nutrition for the athlete, and kind of how he counsels the athletes and the everymans that he works with uh, to try to help them dial in their plant-based nutrition to optimal levels. So plenty to talk about. I think we chat for about two hours. It's a good one. And uh, yeah, that's it. Happy to have him on the show. Happy to have made his acquaintance. And he's a good egg, man. I think you guys are going to dig this. So open open your hearts, open your minds, open your ears. Uh, listen with an open mind, even if you're not vegan, if you're paleo, if whatever sort of dietary preference you come from. Just uh, the only thing I implore you to do is to listen with an open mind. And if it doesn't resonate with you, hey, man, that's cool. You can move on. Uh, not every guest that I have on the show is going to be somebody that you're going to agree with completely. So I'm just trying to bring you a whole bunch of different people. Pick and choose what resonates with you. Discard the rest. Again, the idea is to help you access, unlock, unleash onto the world your best, most authentic self. So anyway, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Matt Mercier. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentous products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentous's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentous for yourself by going to livemomentous.com richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break 
a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. I'm not one uh, for for rants or venting generally. <laughs> so I'm going to call this a monologue instead. <laughs> but I think you're the perfect uh, foil for this. Cool. In fact, when we when I wrap this up, you're going to end up being my therapist, I think. <laughs> so are you ready? Ready. All right, cool. So a little uh, a little thing went down on Twitter yesterday. And usually when like little Twitter spats come up, I just, you know, I sit on the sidelines. I, I really don't like to engage in that kind of stuff. It just, it never ends up well for anybody, <laughs> you know, a little like right. bickering back and forth. Um, but uh, uh, a guy called um, Brian McKenzie, 
who is a friend of mine and has been on the podcast. He's a CrossFit guy. He's a paleo guy, and, and he teaches CrossFit endurance. He's a strength coach. Interesting guy with interesting theories, some of which are controversial. And he was an early guest on the show, and he was great. We got along really well, and I respect him, and, and I believe that he respects me. And he had um, reached out on Twitter and said, hey, you know, I wonder what it's like to be an RD and, uh, and then after you get your degree, have to kind of relearn what real nutrition is, mm -hmm. which was an interesting question, right? And one that I'm sure you have many, many opinions about. Right. And I think in earnestness, uh, somebody on Twitter said, oh, you should check out this podcast episode that Rich did with, uh, with Andy Bellotti. He's an R he's an RD and, uh, I always forget what's the other one. There's always the RD. Uh, Dietitian and nutritionist. He's a, a registered dietitian. Registered dietitian. Yeah, okay, RD. cool. So yeah, when when Andy was on, we talked a lot about all that kind of stuff, and it really wasn't a, a conversation of vegan versus non-vegan. It was really about kind of um, corporate lockdown and government lockdown on on policy and how that influences food choice and the foods that that ultimately end up in the grocery store and how they're marketed towards us and all that kind of stuff. And Brian, Brian's kind of had a little bit of a flip response, which was, uh, I'm not interested in, you know, two vegans talking about nutrition. I need something more open-minded than that. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. So I, you know, sort of issue aside of whether that's a closed minded thing to say or not. And again, understand, like, I like Brian, um, there was sort of a, a debate ensued that I made a choice to kind of, exempt myself from and the details of which aren't that important but it kind of devolved into vegan versus paleo and then it kind of got into the gutter even a little bit more and it just it just it disintegrated and it disappointed me you know it's sort of like I'm always trying to bridge this gap or create some kind of common ground or kind of avoid the controversy but it seems that no matter what no matter what you do it always ends up paleo versus vegan Right. And, uh, and I was thinking about that today. I was like, why? It doesn't have to be that way. Um, and I know that your experience with Matt Frazier writing this book, mm -hmm. it was, you know, Matt's position is all about like, let's find some common ground and, and all this sort of thing. And, you know, it's kind of a bummer to hear somebody say, well, if it's, you know, two vegans in a room is one too many for me. And, you know, I don't really know what to do with that. I mean, <laughs> you know, what do you think? All right, therapist time. <laughs> You know, it's tough. People feel so strongly about nutrition. And um, it, it's hard to say with someone like that that thinks they are absolutely right. I don't claim, and nor does Andy. Andy's such an open-minded person. It's really mm -hmm. hard to attack him to say that one way is absolutely right. And Matt Frazier, you know, he says this, that, you know, paleo and vegan, like you just said, have a lot in common. And th there's a lot we can learn from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the other kind of comments was... Uh you shouldn't be giving advice or pontificating on an issue that you don't have experience with. And there are a lot of people, former vegans who become paleo, but then there was a comment like, but how many, uh, how many people go from paleo to vegan, you know, hashtag crickets. And I, you know, I know some that have, you know, and maybe they're not as vocal and maybe they're not as many, but they certainly exist. And I just, that sort of provocative barb, you know, is just something that's going to further divide the camps. Right. I mean, our, our health system and nutrition is in really bad shape. And I think 
both are improvements, you know, sort of the ethics aside between the difference between paleo and vegan, that they are improvements. And anyone who goes from the standard American diet and cuts, you know, refined sugar, refined flours, um, you know, excess oils, they're going to see benefits, whether mm -hmm. that's via paleo or, or vegan. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, there are bigger issues that we should be concerning ourselves with. I mean, I suppose these sorts of arguments exist between the low-carb people and the keto, you know, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I find it all to be kind of somewhat masturbatory, uh, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, I'm much more concerned with people, with the general public. You know, I've been traveling a lot. I'm in airports all the time and I look mm -hmm. around and I go, these people aren't worried about vegan versus paleo. Right. These people are in line at McDonald's and, you know, they're not healthy. And there's a lot of young people seemingly able-bodied people who are in wheelchairs or in go-kart, you know, those little motorized, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. carts through airports. And that's devastating to see. Yeah, it, it really is. And I, and I think a difference, if we really want to go down this <laughs> road of the yeah. difference between the two, is that um, paleo, in a way, is a selfish diet, right? Most people are doing it for themselves, and they're seeing benefits. And I understand that, and it is true they are seeing benefits. But vegans are more of an activist because it tends to be a bigger thing when you talk about animals and the environment in addition to health. And so I see why vegans would have this reputation of preaching because there is an activist component to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think people get into it for different reasons, and some are more you know, activist-oriented than others, for sure. I mean, I'm the first to admit that I got into it for selfish reasons. I've become more sort of conscious in my decisions and, and, you know, how I kind of perceive the world and animal rights and all of that, for sure. That's changed a lot for me, but that's not how, uh, that's not how it began. And, but I think that people who don't, aren't coming from that place are easily miffed by people that come at them with that perspective. And it can be off, off-putting, I think, because there's a, there's very much a holier than thou um, aura that takes over. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's true. And I get it. And there are plenty of annoying vegans <laughs> and, um, and I see, you know, what I have, what I'm up against as soon as I start talking, cause I've defined myself as a vegan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how did it all, so where does it all begin for you? <laughs> like where, <laughs> what happened? You know, um, where did it go wrong? <laughs> you know, I have like John Joseph and his community of like hardcore punks to thank, you know, mid nineties and music scene. And I found out about this thing called veganism. And I said, mm -hmm. wow, this is for me. You know, I was the kid who like got into fights because like someone would step on a insect and I would be mad about it. You right. Know? So I was like, wow, this veganism thing is for me. And I jumped right into it as a 17 year old. Wow. So like a straight edge kid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this yep. was in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to New York City for shows and that whole that right. whole scene really influenced me. And at the time it was it influenced a lot of people who are still active today. Who were what were some of the bands that you were going to see? <laughs> you, know? you know, like Earth Crisis is a big uh, one and they're still around and like they've become friends of mine. And, you know, Chokehold is another one. They're a Canadian <laughs> band. You know, um, that's off the top of my head. Two big ones I can think of. Right. That's funny. I, I mean, my experience was so different. I'm listening to like R.E.M. and like Morrissey. <laughs> You know? <laughs> I'm for, I'm so thankful. I mean, just those politics of like DIY and where, um, it resonated with me of like, first and foremost, we need to try to make the world a better place, you know, animals, environment and people. Mm -hmm. And like getting that influence as a teenager, 
you know, where it's like tied in with rebellion was, was great. You know, it's transformative. For it me. is a weird thing. This sort of, uh, this, this rebellion, this punk ethos, uh, and how it's wed to these sort of ethical issues and the whole straight edge movement. Like they're so, they're such unlikely bedfellows. Yeah. Like where, what is that about? Like, <laughs> Where does that come from, you think? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I would love to see that history sort of laid out, you know, and um, I'm not sure, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think it, it fits in with like straight edge, like not drinking and not doing drugs in order to make the world a better place. I mean, that's how it was sort of pitched to me. Uh huh. So, I mean, was this, did you come out of the womb with this level of sensitivity or were you a kid who was like a loner kid looking for a group to identify with or what, what was it that attracted you to this to begin with? You know, as, um, I got into BMX and skateboarding at like five years old, uh -huh. just fortunate to have like the neighborhood kid who was older, who like influenced me with that. So I raced BMX at five years old and that's just like a different community. You know, it's, it's not as quote jockey as a mm -hmm. football or baseball and that just put me on a different path so punk rock kind of fit right in with that right it's pretty similar to mac danzig's uh background i mean i think he was in rural pennsylvania as well and found skateboarding and that was kind of his thing i mean pretty yeah. similar kind of crowd of people right yeah and as soon as you learn to start think different to think differently some, you know, concept like veganism in the mid 90s which was obscure and so pretty extreme seems pretty normal. You're like, yeah, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And you're used to being different and it's a huge advantage. So I mean, does the, does, is the veganism happening at the, at the outset or with the introduction to the music or the trips into New York city or what, you know, where does that creep into the straight edge ideology? You know, I mean, they're kind of one and the same, I guess it's hard to split them. Like you buy a new record on vinyl and you open it up and the lyrics are about these things mm -hmm. and you say, wow, you know, I love my dog. You know, I'm, I'm sad when I see deer being, you know, from the side of the road. Oh, the animals that I eat have suffered and just never crossed my mind. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's similar to John Joseph a little bit, I think, just in how he, you know, how revelatory the, the bad brains, you know, lyrics and sort of hanging out with those guys were for him to introduce him to something that was so completely foreign to him previous to that. Yeah, definitely. And and it it, it says, you know, hey, there are these things in the world that are wrong, you mm -hmm. know, and we need to do something about it, which mm -hmm. is nice that it has that second component of like taking action. And for some people that was starting a band and going on tour with, you know, empowering lyrics, which people may say may not do a lot, but Hey, it's influenced a lot of people. So where, how come you didn't join a band and do that? I, or did you? No, I have no musical ability. Did. No, <laughs> not at all. That, that, I, I don't know that that stops very many people in the, in the Especially hardcore the movement. Punk, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know that it's all that important. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I might get some shit for saying yeah. that. But, uh, um, yeah, some truth in it. Yeah. Um, no, so the, so mu it wasn't going to be music. You were just drawn to the scene. Yeah. So it, what were the clubs in New York that you were going to? Hang oh out man, at? I mean CBGBs before it went under. You know, uh -huh. um, gosh, so many places like ABC No Rio, those types of places. And did you what you know what was the home front like when you're like, hey, I'm going to the I'm going to go to Manhattan and go to CBG. What are you like, 17 years old? Yeah, yeah. You know, my parents being from Brooklyn and. Uh, they're the only ones in their families to move out of the city. So they were comfortable with me going. Oh, wow. And I was going, I was going pretty young, like starting at like 14, 15. Wow. And I would take older kids from my high school and show them around New York City because I knew it from going there with my family. Oh, so you had serious like social cred yeah, yeah, when you yeah, <laughs> went yeah. back to school for that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Pretty How fortunate. far out of the city did you live? Just an hour. 
You have brothers and sisters? Away. No, only child. Oh, only child. Yeah. Wow, our only child is going to CBGB tonight yeah. at age 15. Yeah. Like, I just don't see that something like that happening. I guess stuff like that still goes on, but... Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I didn't think twice about it. I mean, again, it was BMX, like, really got me on that path of just, mm. like, going out and doing your own thing, you know? We did the same thing, like, piling into a van and driving five hours to go ride some skate park. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really about escaping some kind of home life that wasn't suitable for you. It was just a scene that you wanted to be a part of. It was just, I mean, a bored teenager and these things were exciting. Right. And I think we have a lot of bored teenagers now and we don't have enough outlets, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, we have, or we have too many outlets, (laughs) you know, too many, too many distractions, too many. I mean, it's too easy to open up the, the, uh, iPad, right. You know, who's going to drive into New York city when I can just sit on my couch and right. You know what I mean? Or build BMX jumps in the woods, which is a lot of work. That's too much work. Who's going to do that now? (laughs) Like I'll take the bike to the guy at the shop and he'll do it for me. Yeah. Or I'd like go ride a skate park, you know? Right. So I often wonder like, given that, given this sort of culture of convenience and immediacy that we live in, like what it would take for a movement, you know, sort of a palpable emotionally driven movement like that to occur again or to strike a chord with the youth. Yeah. You know, I'm the old man roll over right. here. Yeah, you know I, know, what I mean, right. like grandpa. I know. I know. The youth <laughs> so like what happened? <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, that is the question, you know? Yeah. I mean, you go to New York now and, and there's a whole foods in the Bowery. So like, how, what does that make you like? That's, that's sort of a weird double edged sword for you. On the one hand, you're like, Oh cool. This thing that I, you know, preach and study is, has a foothold in this neighborhood that means something to me. But at the same time, it's kind of the, the end of something else that was possibly more impactful and meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's a big question. Yeah, for sure. You don't have the answer to no, that. Unfortunately. <laughs> All right. So, so then what, so, so what happens? I mean, do you, are you like, okay, I'm going to live in New York city after high school or where, where do you go? You know, it's funny. I, um, my parents didn't go to college and I was like, what am I going to do? You know? And I decided I wanted to go because I could work less if I had a college degree. Mm-hmm. And I literally, a friend dragged me to Penn state, you know, and said, Hey, you should come here with me. And I flipped through the book and I thought, Oh, nutrition, this would be useful. And I just picked it out of the book. Oh, wow. And that was it. I had no idea. I didn't know what a registered dietitian was. I didn't know that I was doing basically pre-med. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had no idea what organic chemistry was. And, um, I just signed up for it and then just went with it. You know, I was lucky I had a good high school education and was able to get through it. Mm-hmm. And so from the very beginning, that's what it was going to be for you. Yeah, and I, and I always thought, and I, I say this a lot, not to jump ahead too much, but sure, I'm vegan and I have that as my background, but I'm very careful in my wording about the benefits. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want to exist as a resource for people who want to be a healthy vegan. Mm-hmm. You know, and I try to go through the research. I'm not cherry picking research. I'm finding the research you might not hear about in order to get it to the people who need it. And so when you work with clients, I mean, are you working with, do you work exclusively with people that are on a plant-based diet or do you, you work with all sorts of different kinds of people? The majority of people I work with find me and say, I want to be vegan or vegan-ish and you seem like a person to help me get on that path. I see. So they're already inclined to kind of move in that direction. I see. And, uh, all right. So you graduate from Penn State, mm-hmm. and then but they, you went to grad school, right? So right. did you do that right away, or 
I um, I went and lived in Central America for a little bit uh-huh. uh, with a girl. Of course you then, did. Right, right. And then um, then I rode my bike cross country. Oh, you did? Yeah. Wow, cool. Yeah, it was great. Great For like trip. a charity thing or just to do it? Just to do it mm-hmm. solo on a bike I bought for a hundred bucks. One of those nice. deals. Yeah. With like panniers and yep. the whole thing? Yep. And it was awesome. Wow. I mean, just to see Kansas and, you know, all uh-huh. these places and, and to do it as a vegan, you know? And um, What year was that? 2001 mm-hmm. and yeah. you totally you were totally alone totally self-supported alone i had a friend meet me for a few hundred miles in pennsylvania but mm-hmm. otherwise alone and uh so yeah. someone would so you know the natural question would be well you did that like if you were doing that as a vegan like what were you eating especially if you're alone and nobody's that there's no rv you know crew crew person handing you bananas or whatever it right. is like what were you eating you know is it was, it was this like it really taught me to plan ahead you know, it's like, okay, Joshua Tree. I leave Joshua Tree and I have 100 miles of nothing. I need to plan all of my meals. And, you know, fortunately, I have a nutrition degree and some, mm-hmm. some experience in this. And um, just to be able to cook dinner, you know, make noodles and broccoli and tofu on the side of the road in the desert. You mm-hmm. know, it's great, great experience. So you just would stock up your, you'd go to the grocery store and just stock up in your panniers, whatever you yeah. need to cook for that. And I mean, even in, quote, like the middle of nowhere, you can find stuff. I remember writing to my friends over email from a library because it was pre-cell phone for me and mm-hmm. saying... Kansas has soy milk in the grocery store. Uh huh. What know? year? Wait, what year was 2001. this? Two thousand one. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So all good. So yeah, it was it was great. I mean, wonderful experience. Like fortunate, privileged to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And then got done and uh, decided I wanted to, grad, to go to grad school. And I looked at Loma Linda University, which is well known for their vegetarian nutrition. Right. It's one of the blue zones. Right. Right. Can you explain what that is for somebody who might not know? Right. The blue zones are areas where people on average live longer. And Adventists are well known for living longer. Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists because about half of them are vegetarian. Not all of them are. About half of them are. And even the ones who are not vegetarian are eating very, very vegetarian. And so Mm -hmm. they live longer because of it. Mm -hmm. And, And there's a famous book called the blue zones right what mm-hmm. is it do you know i can't remember the name of the guy who wrote that book but anyway it's essentially it's a primer on these specific regions um across the globe where people seem to live longer and be healthier and they're 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 mostly like exotic places like okinawa right mm-hmm. or uh you know uh southern greece or i don't, I, I can't even remember what the other blue zones are but then in the midst of all these kind of very you know places that are kind of untouched by time where culture kind of exists the way it's existed for hundreds and hundreds of years and people live very simply and then there's loma linda california you're like what what is that you know and then and that's when it became clear that this sort of um <clears throat> religious philosophy uh promoted a way of life that was allowing these people to live longer yeah, Loma Linda is definitely not an exotic place. No, <laughs> and so so that but that's where you're going. I'm going to the blue zone yeah. to study, right? You know, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to learn so much about vegetarian nutrition. It ends up I could have taught the classes on vegetarian nutrition. Mm-hmm. They're there. just eating what they're given. Yeah, and and um, you know. Through undergrad, I was that vegan who obsessed over all the research I could find about veganism. And that's what le- led me to Loma Linda. Um, but what I did learn there is I did a public health degree, uh-huh. which is sort of the psychology and education behind nutrition. 
And it was so, so helpful to have a nutrition degree and then learn how to get information out to people. And that's where Loma Linda was a fantastic place. So explain that to me, the psychology behind. Like um, changing behaviors is hard. Mm -hmm. You know, like 98% of people who lose weight put it back on within two years. That's a horrible failure rate, Mm -hmm. right? Because changing behaviors because of our environment and a lot of the things that you spoke spoke about with Andy is difficult. Our environment isn't good for exercise or healthy eating and habits keep us doing what we want to do mm-hmm. and what we've been doing. And so how do you get past that? And that's the big question. Mm-hmm. And so what is the answer to that <laughs> question, Matt? <laughs> what, how do you do that? Very slowly and methodically and with a good plan. Mm-hmm. And most people don't do those things. Right. And in other words, trying to uh, modify behavior over time in a, in a way that will be sustainable within the context of somebody's lifestyle. Exactly. And and in steps, people say, well, I'm not happy with this step. So they don't want to take it. So they want to skip three steps to, to where they want to be. And they want to do that immediately. Mm -hmm. And then it's hard and then they fail and then they fail again. And then they say, this is too hard. I give up. Right. So, um, all right. So you get, how long does it take for you to get your graduate degree? Two years, two years. And, and would you say that you're, academic experience was similar to Andy's in the, in the sense of, um, the curriculum revolving around, uh, studies and, and sort of, uh, how do I say this? Um, the curriculum being oriented around kind of promoting a big food, big, big corporate kind of agenda without being too, I I was trying to think of a way to say it without sounding like a crazy (laughs) conspiracy theorist, but essentially this idea that, you know, most of the studies that are conducted are conducted by these big food companies who have a financial, a vested financial interest in, in promoting, uh, you know, the increase of ingestion of whatever product it is that they're selling. Right. And so these are the studies that find their way into academia. And this is what uh, people are studying when they're trying to get their RD. Well, I disagree a little bit. Um, And people would say this, you know, how can you be a vegan at Penn state, a land grant university? It must be so hard. And I would say, well, actually we very rarely talk about diets. We talk, you know, we're doing, nutrition metabolism we're doing physiology you know we're doing epidemiology and all Mm -hmm. of these hard sciences that prepare you to then later talk about diets so veganism didn't really come up and then in terms of like corporations have definitely influenced studies and those are the studies you hear about but what i always tell people is that there are thousands of studies that come out every month Mm -hmm. and you need to look at the big picture of those And, you know, that's the problem with the dairy industry. It's not that they fund studies because I don't think that they're actually changing the results of them most of the time, but they have the ability to spend $10 million on advertising one study that, you know, has results they like. So that's the study that you end up hearing about, even though there actually are studies being conducted that might say something different. Absolutely. And there's, there are so many research journals out there. It's like unfathomable. Mm -hmm. And so do you stay on top of all that stuff now? Like Dr. Greger, who's like staying up all night reading these things? No one can do what he does. Um, (laughs) I do what I can, of course. Right. 
Um, so, 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 I mean, you, it sounds like you're coming at it a little bit more mild than Andy who, I mean, Andy's really on, I mean, if you follow him on Twitter, he's on a mission, man. Like yes. every day it's like, here's what Coca-Cola said. Yeah. Here's what, you know, he's really calling him and Marion Nestle are really calling these companies out and trying to hold them accountable and taking them to the mat. And it's great because somebody has to do that, yes. but it sounds like you have a little bit of a different, um, not not to say that you disagree, but you have a different kind of temperament or a different mm-hmm. perspective on how you're kind of uh, working with people or what your advocacy is all about. Yeah, it's just kind of a you know different side of the same coin. Where I agree with I agree with Andy one hundred percent, but I think sometimes it gets a little twisted in the public where people say, "Oh, did you hear that Coca Cola teaches dietitians?" And we're like, "No, no, no, no that's not what's happening." Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I'm sure it gets it gets perverted. And all I know is what I, I, I I'm not an expert, and I read this, and I don't know whether it's true or not. You know, yeah. it's so easy to to be misled. I suppose. I mean, my friends laugh at me because they'll ask me a nutrition question and they say that I always start with, well, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, and, but that's, that's good, right? Yeah. It shouldn't be, it's not a black or white thing. And I think that, that leads me to something that's been on my mind too lately, which is, you know, there's what's popular and there's what's correct. And those two things aren't always on the same page, probably more often than not, they're, they're not on the same page. Um, and right now there are certain things that are very popular this uh, low carb craze, mm-hmm. this ketosis, you know, this obsession with ketosis, this idea of saturated fat not being bad for you, that, you know, we, we, you've been lied to and everything that you know about fat or saturated fat, throw it out the window. It's all new now. Sugar, grains, grain brain, all these kinds of things. And, you know, so you know, what's true, what's not, what's hype, what's being used to sell a certain diet or a book and what's real. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah. Rich. <laughs> We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fairtrade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic Fairtrade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. 
And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You know, it, it takes, in science, and what's so great about it is it takes a lot of evidence to overturn what was previously thought of as true. And sure, we may learn more about saturated fat later, but in until I see really concrete evidence that overturns decades of research, hundreds of thousands of studies, I'm going to go with what I know, which is that mm-hmm. saturated fat, you know, leads to clogged arteries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and every every cardiovascular surgeon, cardiologist that I've spoken to still adheres to that. But then there will be the outlier says, well, yeah, but they didn't study nutrition. And have they read this book? And have they read that book? And yeah. it's all new now and it's all different. You know, it's always changing and it's just, it hasn't changed that much. And, and you know, the saturated fat criticism is that people who replaced saturated fat with refined carbohydrate did not see much of a drop in their cholesterol levels. Okay. That's like elementary. I mean, that's yeah. okay. I, yeah. you know, yeah, of yeah. course. Right. But then when they replaced it with plant-based fats, they did see it, mm-hmm. you know, so therefore you can say that it is better as far as we know now, to replace, you know, animal fats with plant fats. Mm-hmm. And what would be, you know, for somebody, for somebody who's not fully up to speed or indoctrinated, I mean, what is the difference between animal fat and, and plant fat? <laughs> you know, it's complicated. It, yeah, it's complicated. Um, 
you know, you're, you're looking at the actual structure, you know, saturated and unsaturated are just two categories for these different fatty acids. And each one of them actually acts independently on your cholesterol, on mm-hmm. your serum cholesterol, you know, in your blood. And, you know, some saturated fats don't raise your cholesterol. It, it's, it's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. But overall, um, we're seeing that people who eat more saturated fats, you know, have these end results, which is cardiovascular diseases. I see. Irrespective of whether it's animal or plant oriented. Yeah. I mean, uh, coconut is, coconut is one of those issues. I mean, me and Andy have talked about this, you know, at length. It was probably very boring conversations about is coconut good for you or not, uh-huh. you know, because it has the medium chain. Um, right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, right. Yeah, exactly. I wrote a, po- I wrote a blog post on my site called, you know, coconut oil, like miracle cure, you know, panacea or artery clogger. And, and I wrote it in reaction to a Dr. Greger video that went up that kind of provoked a little dialogue on Twitter and I had an hour to kill and I just <laughs> did, you know, just wrote it out. These are my thoughts. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a dietitian. This is my experience with it. This is what I, this is what I think is right. And that's been, I think that that's post has more page views than anything else on wow. my website, like ever, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, And, and I, I wasn't even really saying that much because <laughs> I wasn't being definitive either way. Yeah. So people really want to know, like yes. coconuts, suddenly like, you know, it's all about coconut milk and coconut oil and coconut water and all of that. Well, is this good for us or is this bad for us? So what are the cliff notes of your conversation with Andy? I mean, where, you know, where are you coming down on this? You know, I, what we both end up saying, which is funny is that it's not about one food, right? And it's your overall like diet pattern. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've seen people who are consuming, you know, coconut fat and having low cholesterol, you know, and so that's an outcome that you want to see that's positive. And then, but theoretically, they would have high cholesterol. So is it then something else? And that's, that's when it gets really complicated. Right. I mean, my understanding, and, and maybe this is wrong, is that the fat in coconut oil is lauric acid, which is easily converted to a readily available uh, source of energy that ends up being something that you use for your metabolism as opposed to just getting packed on the, the gut, which is probably a very simplistic way of saying something and, and maybe completely incorrect, but you, you know, it, it, it depends, right? That's my other answer. <laughs> oh, come on. Um, All right. and I'll say I'm kind of going to, I'm kind of, I'm kind of going to punt on that one right okay. now. Um, All right. Without giving some long rambling answer that may or may not make sense. Um, use sparingly, <laughs> right? Use sparingly and what is happening overall. You know, I am not totally, I'm not against fat. And if you are eating the exact amount of calories that you need for the day, you will turn any fat into energy. Mm-hmm. And if, but if it's an excess, you know, refined carbohydrates right. and excess. If all you fat, ate all day was a teaspoon of coconut oil, <laughs> then you will probably burn that, right? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, Maybe. but if you ate one teaspoon exactly extra every day and it was of coconut oil, that would be just as likely to turn into fat. Right. Okay. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you raise another interesting issue, which is um, this kind of, uh, you know, there's there's this camp within the, the plant-based movement of, of the no oil, no fat camp. You know, the sort of um, Dr. Esselstyn 
uh, engine two crowd that are saying, you know, get rid of the avocados and the nuts and the oils. And then other people that are like, that's, you know, knock yourself out with avocados. So do you have a, an opinion on that? <laughs> that shy of, uh, of, uh, it's complicated. You know, well, my answer is complicated by something different, which is, um, I'm actually been talking with the engine two people and I may be doing some work with them. Oh, okay, cool. And, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, engine two is onto something where they are treating people who are sick and they're looking at what are the absolute best foods to be eating all of the time. And, and I think it makes sense that they wouldn't include added oils. You know, I see that mm-hmm. um, for sure. Yeah, and I, th- I had um, Chef AJ on the podcast. You know her too? Mm-hmm. So she made a pretty compelling case about that as well. Um, you know, I'm, I, don't, I don't overindulge in oils, but I do have coconut oil. I eat avocados. I eat, I eat nuts. And, and I find that particularly when I'm training, I feel a little bit better when I, ha- when I do have some of those fats in my diet. Again, yeah, and it's just different scenarios for different situations. And um, I do work with vegan athletes and vegan-ish athletes. And one of the biggest problems I see is they're simply not getting enough calories to fuel their workouts. Mm-hmm. And I think to bring this back to paleo is that people say, oh, I added eggs and I feel so much better. And it's like, well, you were also adding a few hundred calories a day, which could mm-hmm. have been the difference of what you needed. Right. And, and calories that are metabolized differently, yeah. I would imagine, than eating, you know, three bananas or something like that. Yeah. Uh, have you ever worked with anybody who's eating a fruitarian diet? I have. Um, I, I worked with a guy who was actually training at the, Olymp- the Olympic Center in Colorado for modern day pentathlon. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, As a fruitarian. Um, yes. Interesting. Yes. And um, he is amazing guy. We actually, I do a little video series with vegan athletes called mm-hmm. Day in the Life, and we did an episode with him. Unbelievable amount of training. I mean, this is a guy who can get close to running a four-minute mile, maybe has run it. Wow. And, you know, just um, was thinking, how can I get into the Olympics? And uh-huh. he looked up this crazy sport of He's modern like, day pentathlon. do the thing that no one does. Yeah. Right. Right. He's like, uh-huh. well, I can run, and I fenced in college. So now I'm just going to add horseback riding, shooting, and swimming. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, only a few. Right. More and, disciplines. And I was blown away by what he ate. I mean, the 30 bananas a day thing, no uh-huh. problem whatsoever for right. him. And then these huge iceberg lettuce salad at night. And what does everyone say about iceberg lettuce, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's mostly water. But when you're eating 40 servings of it, you know? Wow. And there's 2% iron in one serving, it's like, wow, suddenly you're getting 80% of your iron from iceberg lettuce. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, uh, and how long he, had he been, had he been eating that way prior to that, or he adopted it to try to make the Olympic team? You know, he had been eating that way for years and, mm-hmm. um, he said he was like 99% raw or something. And they were adding some cooked food because they were living in Colorado and previously they'd been living in California where it was a lot easier. Uh-huh. And, uh, and killing it as an athlete and no deleterious effects or, you know, none that, none that, um, I noted or, and he said he was still improving and now we're, gosh, we're two years out from that video and actually just communicated with him recently and he said all his times have improved and he's really focusing on 2016 to get into the That's, Olympics for this. It's so interesting. There are more and more fruitarian athletes cropping yeah. up and it's yeah. like, I've never tried it. I, I don't have a, it seems so crazy and extreme. And like Michael Arnstein's the first guy to say, yeah, it is extreme and it's expensive. You know, he's <laughs> like, you should see how much money I spent and yeah. I have two fr- fridges at home and I have to go to the wholesaler with a truck and you know, all this kind of stuff. But you know, that guy is full on, you yeah. know, and, he, yeah. and 
there aren't too many people that can run like that guy, you know? Right. And, uh, so who, you know, who am I to say, who are you to say this isn't working? You know, I don't know. Yeah. We did, um, an episode with him actually when he ran Badwater. Um, uh-huh. so we have that episode as well, which is great. He's great right. on camera. It's a good person for that for sure. I mean, is there anything in your academic back background though, that kind of gets kicked up when somebody says all I'm eating is fruit that makes you say, well, yeah, but you, you might be missing this or you might be missing that or. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny. Like my gut reaction is the same thing people say to me about veganism you know? mm-hmm. and it's like, well, wait a minute, are you going to get enough protein? You know, I, I, I don't say it out loud, of course, but. Um, I actually looked at this. I had a friend who was racing the Furnace Creek 508, which uh-huh. is the 500-mile bike race, right. kind of the sister race of Badwater. And he did it raw. He had been raw for about a year and a half. And I trained his crew on how to keep a diet record so they could look at what he ate in the span of the 36 hours that he raced. Mm-hmm. And you know what? His numbers were like right on where they should be for carbohydrate and protein. Because nature's just rigged it that way, <laughs> right? Like if you're just eating what's available to you in nature, and if you're eating just fruit, you're going to have to eat such a massive volume of it that ultimately all those sort of micronutrients are going to add up. Is yeah. that the idea? Oh, I mean, his micronutrients were like, they were off the charts. I mean, it is because your, your fruits and vegetables are the most nutrient dense things you can eat. You know, that mm. stuff isn't a problem at all. It's like, I honestly was looking at his protein and he was getting, if I remember correctly, about 12% of his calories from protein while he was riding, which so that's is fine. right on. Yeah. yeah. I was impressed. Amazing. But any, anything like brain function, any kind of minerals or vitamins that get, that end up getting, you know, I, 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 I worry about omega three a little bit. Um, it, it's crucial, not just as a, as a, a nutrient, meaning that it's required, but as there's benefits to eating more mm-hmm. omega threes. Um, but if they're eating large amounts, I mean, kale's has omega threes, right? So if you're just eating massive amounts, massive <laughs> yeah. amounts, um, yeah, you can get it that way. And then B12, of course. And this is an issue that's definitely contentious among a lot of raw food folks as they say, oh, the dirt and oh, it's right. nature. And it's like, no, you have to make sure you're getting B12. Yeah. Now I had uh, Tim Van Orden on and he said that his B12 levels, if I recall correctly, um, he said he's supplemented on and off, I believe. But I think that currently he, as long as he's sort of eating very organic produce, locally grown or whatever, and he doesn't wash much of the dirt off, yeah. you know, and you just get some of the dirt on there that the microbes, the B12 microbes are there. Like I, it was the first <laughs> I'd heard of that. And I've since heard other people say that. And I see you sort of, yeah, it's possible. Mm-hmm. It's possible to get your B12 that way. I think that we used to get our B12 that way a hundred mm-hmm. years ago. Cause it's not in meat. It's in the microorganisms that are in meat. Right. Right. And so it can be in the dirt that our vegetables are in. Absolutely. But I would not rely on that. It's right. just a bad idea. Just eating handfuls of dirt. Yeah, a dirtarian. Right, what's next, right? You're be a dirtarian. <laughs> <laughs> Only organic. Yeah. Um, well, interesting. I mean, you said uh, you, you know you work with a lot of athletes, and you're an athlete yourself, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. But um, that one of the common pitfalls is that the the athletes that are the vegan athletes that you work with don't they simply just don't eat enough calories. And yeah. so you know what is how do you determine that you just look at their training plan and what they're eating and say you're not eating enough or or and why do you think that they're not eating enough calories you know yeah i use their their height and weight and um you know their training plan and and i look at their diet record and you know i can get pretty exact numbers with mm-hmm. what i have and and i find that it's just low it's about you know 10 percent low for a lot of people and i think it's because 
we're don't we don't realize as trained athletes how many calories we really need mm -hmm. you know most people who exercise recreationally over um <laughs> overestimate how many right. calories they need for you know half an hour on a treadmill right but when you have people out doing two two-hour runs a day they say oh i just need to eat a couple bananas and it's like mm -hmm. no you need to eat some pretty massive meals mm -hmm. well i think there there also is i think it's important to note that you know there is some kind of eating disorder stuff that can crop up and some body dysmorphia issues. And, you know, people get really into the idea of getting super lean, especially endurance athletes. And yeah. you can get really like, Ooh, I can get even leaner and I'll be even lighter on the bike. And then, you know, you're basically cannibalizing your body to right. feed yourself. Right. And I think that a lot of people have given up veganism. That has been one of the reasons. Mm -hmm. Well, they also don't want to be the spindly vegan guy. Yeah. He's like, but then a lot of the endurance athletes want to look like that. Yeah. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a weird thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what do you, what other than calories, what do you think some of the other common misconceptions or pitfalls are of the, the person who's an athlete who's trying to eat this way? You know, I see kind of both extremes of someone saying I'm vegan I'm an athlete. I can just eat whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And I've seen 4,000 calorie diets with pretty minimal fruits and vegetables. Uh -huh. I'm like, okay, it, you know, the old adage here of eating fruits and vegetables, it's still like important. a, like a veginase with tofurkey and diet cheese on it, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, sandwiches or something like wrapped in a tortilla and deep fried, Yeah, you know? And, and I was like, well, actually it's, it's, and this is true for everyone. It's more about what you eat than what you don't eat. And I think a lot of vegans are confused about that. Explain that. So the benefits of, of being vegan and plant-based diet is eating the plants. It's not that you're not eating meat. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, and, and I think that's a really important lesson, and that's kind of the, the basis of my philosophy on nutrition. Right. So to elaborate on that, meaning the benefits of the plants being what? Um, I mean, the phytochemicals, I mean, are the biggest thing. I mean, that's the future of nutrition is these compounds found in plants that aren't nutrients you don't need them mm -hmm. um, but they have huge benefits i mean like lycopene in tomatoes right and cancer you know that's the future of nutrition is looking at those sorts of things right um and i think also balancing that against you, you had kind of peripherally mentioned it earlier we have this tendency as human beings, or maybe the way that we're kind of raised and trained, especially in the sciences, to kind of break everything apart and look at at, at the individual pieces of everything and, mm -hmm. and draw conclusions from that. Um, so we look at food or diet and we say, well, carbohydrates and here's fats and here's protein and how much of each of these do we need? Or, you know, whatever it is, the, 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 the vitamin B12 in this or the lycopene or whatever it is, and we overlook or we don't really give due credit to um, the importance of evaluating these things in, in a meta sense or in the context of the whole. And I know that's the subject of the book whole, yeah, you know, yeah. T. Colin Campbell's yeah. newest book whole that, you know, we've lost sight of how all of these things interact with each other and function as a, 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 a vast matrix and how that impacts our health. When we start to, um, talk about the simple ingredients as opposed to that. Yes. And if, that is a valid critique of, you know, the dietetics field right now. It's, it's taking some time for them to catch up with that. And I think um, Loma Linda is, you know, very progressive with this. They know this. They know a lot about these phytochemicals mm -hmm. and, and sort of the future of nutrition. 
Right. And uh, I think the sort of the benchmark kind of example that everyone uses is the beta carotene study or example. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm, I'm not sure. Oh, I, I'm going to I'm going to completely bastardize this. But my recollection, it's something like there was a period of time, maybe it was in the 70s or the 80s. Where, oh, we need more beta carotene. We need more beta carotene. People aren't getting enough of it in their diet. So then people were mega dosing supplements on this, but then it was having zero impact on them, or actually it was having an adverse impact mm. on people or something like that. And just as an example of, you know, extracting one nutrient out of the right. matrix of a food, because you think that's the sort of miracle nutrient that we all need more of. And if we just had that, we would be perfectly healthy. And then to realize that it doesn't work. Right. Right. And, um, that is a problem when we get into sort of corporations of influencing academia and programs is they're like, well, how can this be profitable? Mm -hmm. You know, how it can lycopene be more profitable? Oh, we can put the ad on, on ketchup bottles. Okay. Let's do that. And right. Like, well, it defeats the whole purpose. Right. Well, now, and Andy, you know, was talking about this, too, on the podcast. You go to the grocery store and everything. They have studies that say if you put, you know, protein on the front part of the label, <laughs> it sells more. So, they'll, you know, eight grams of protein. Or even if right. it's like two grams of protein, you know, people don't know. But it yeah. says, oh, it's a high in protein. I yeah. must, this must be good. I should get this. People, you know, those of us who think a lot about nutrition, you know, no matter which tribe you're in, to use Andy's word, um, forget how little everyone else thinks about nutrition. You know, I taught community college for five years here in Los Angeles. Most of my students were absolutely clueless about any of these details. Mm -hmm. And so, so, you know, what does that tell you? I mean, in terms of how you message the people that you work with or, you know, the audience that might be listening to this podcast, you know, we kind of have to back up, you know, and, and, and what you were alluding to about, you know, taking out certain nutrients or phytochemicals is, isn't what's important. You know, it's eating these whole foods and it's such a simple message as it is. It's like, we need to eat actual whole plant foods, you know, for many reasons. Mm -hmm. Where do you, with the athletes that you work with and just in yourself, in your experience, you know, what do you, where do you come down on supplements and do you use supplements or what, what is their, what, what place do they have? You know, I, I take my B12 <laughs> and other than that, I don't use any, you may say, um, I use flax oil mm -hmm. supplementally. Right. Um, you know, I add it to salads and sometimes I'll just add some rice and be add it to rice and beans. Um, and I use flax seeds and I'm using those only for those omega threes. Right. But what about, um, you know, a protein powder after a ride or something like you that? You know, I've never used any of that. Oh, you never have? No, wow. no. You never use Vega or Sun Warrior or any, with all the ultra cycling and all, all the stuff that you're doing? <laughs> you know, I've never had to use anything um, for times I could eat, like after a ride. I have used some of the Hammer Nutrition stuff, like while riding, mm -hmm. you know, like 24-hour mountain bike races. I'm just right. tired of eating, mm -hmm. so I'll just drink my calories. And, and that's a supplement Like the Perpetuum or like, the yeah, Maltodextrin. Exactly. Right, but never like a post workout recovery kind of anything no I, i've never needed it i mean i mean i do my own diet record and analysis when i'm training hard just to see and check my numbers and i'm like oh my protein is great without using that mm -hmm. yeah that's 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 good beans that's important man. To do. beans lots of beans and <laughs> yeah then you know I, I tell people to eat beans all the time and then i get complaints about the gas it's like hey man well what do you want you know <laughs> your body does adjust embrace you know? it yeah it embrace adjusts. it it adjusts no i mean i i still use uh post-workout um, protein supplement, but I don't, you know, it's been an evolution for me, I mm -hmm. think. Uh, 
I don't rely on that, you know, right. for my protein. Like I'll, and I, and I don't use it every day. I'll just use it when I'm training really hard or I know like, Hey, I didn't, I don't have any beans or lentils in the house or I don't, you know, I might not meet that requirement for the right. day. It's easy and that's useful. And I have worked with athletes who are using, they were using, you know, six scoops a day of protein powder. Right. And I'm saying <clears> this is costing you, like, I'm going to save you hundreds of dollars right now by saying, let's cut this to two. Uh huh. Yeah, but I think I think it plays into an important issue, which is is a mental issue as much as anything else, or the psychology that you kind of were talking about earlier. Which is, even if somebody you know reads all the books, reads Brendan's book, reads your mm-hmm. book, No Mean Athlete, reads my, whatever, they go, I'm convinced. Look at what Scott Jurek can do. Look at what these guys can do on a plant based diet. This is this is this is awesome. I'm going to do this. But in the back of your mind, you're still like, yeah, but, you know, yeah. maybe milk does do a body good, and, and maybe beef is what's for dinner. It's very hard to shake that when you've been told it your whole life. Like you had mentioned beforehand um, that you had uh, helped Chris Cosman with Bad Water, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I was just I was crewing there this past year, and I was at the awards thing in the high school gym afterwards, and they're calling the names of everybody, that you know, giving out the awards and all that kind of stuff. And up around the ceiling, all the way around the gym are the got milk ads, you know, and there's high, very healthy looking high school students at the right. bench press and all that kind of stuff with the milk mustaches. And it's like you realize that even if somebody isn't consciously looking at that poster, they're aware it's there. And if you're a high school student, you're seeing that every single day. And that plants a seed in your head that becomes very difficult to um, ignore or to kind of move, move beyond. So, and I've had that own experience myself. Like even I was feeling amazing and I was getting stronger and faster every week as I was doing this, you know, back in 2007, 2008, but still I had that doubt. And so my cupboard was full of like every imaginable supplement Mm because I was like, I'm, I, you know, I need to make sure that I'm getting, you know, if I'm going to do this race, like I need to make doubly sure. So I spent a ton of money on all that kind of stuff. And it's been the last couple of years have been a slow process of saying, I wonder how I would feel if I got rid of that one. I still feel pretty good. (laughs) I get rid of that one. And and I, and I think they, they have their place. I think it's fine. And I think that because people aren't eating the, exactly the way they should every single day, and not everybody is going to be as diligent as you are. It's your profession. Right. Um, but to understand that you should always get your nutrients from food first and foremost. Right, and I think you touched on this sort of theme, if we have one, is, is it, it's hard to be different. I mean, some of us kind of revel in it. It's like, I'm mm. different than everyone else, and therefore I'm vegan and I have tattoos or whatever. You're the, you're yeah. the straight, straight. Yeah. how many tattoos do you have? <laughs> Come on. Dozens of hours. It's complicated. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) At this point, I have to measure it in hours. So, I don't know, 100 hours? 100 hours. Wow. All right. Well, we're in LA. It's normal. Right, right. And, and, And so, with veganism, it's the same thing. It's like when you go against the norm, you're. It's natural to have a little bit of doubt, and I think sort of anti-vegan advocates really like like pressing that against you. You know, are mm-hmm. you sure you're getting enough protein? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's pretty easy, easy to trigger that doubt or to like right. push that door open and make right. somebody really doubt what they're doing. Right. You know, and it's hard to trust your own instincts or rely on how you feel. About your, you know, it's like social pressure is, a, is big. You know, it takes cojones yes. and it takes real determination to go, you know what? No, actually, I feel really good. I'm going to continue to do this. I mean, imagine if you're a fruitarian, right. what you have to deal with. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't even begin to, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine that. And yet there are people out there doing it and they're, 
they don't have to say anything because they're they're destroying it athletically. <laughs> so you know, yeah. again, who are we to say? It's funny. We went to an uh, an endurance race, cycling cycling race in Utah, and there were six of us, and five of us were vegan, and one guy was raw, and we found we kept making fun of him. <laughs> we're like, You're... oh, this is what it's like for us, and now we're turning yeah. it on you. Exactly. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Now we're like, oh, we're gonna get burritos. Can you just eat salsa for dinner? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what does it? I mean, you have to. You, I mean, talk about being prepared ahead of time, right? I mean, Coolers. for an ultra cycling race, yeah. you know, how do you even, you know, begin to approach that? You need a, many vans or a gigantic RV, I suppose. Yeah, right? it was funny. He's the same friend who um, did Vine Man, which is the Iron Distance uh, race in Northern California, mm-hmm. with me. And the next day, I was hanging out with some family members, and he was making a salad, and there were six of us. And my cousin goes, "Oh." that's a lot of salad. There's only six of us. And he says, oh, this is just for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Welcome to Fruitarianism. Right. right? Um, No, I have a friend who, uh, do you know Evan Rock? He's a Fruitarian guy. Mm. Um, Lives in LA. And uh, he's a great guy. He, you know, by day, he's a very buttoned up business guy. And I think he works in commercial real estate, like in the Valley. And uh, I ran into him in Whole Foods at lunchtime. It was like last year and he, uh, you know, he's wearing his nice press shirt and in his business suit and everything like that. But he was eating and he had an entire half of a, a watermelon just cut in <laughs> half and he was just eating it with a spoon, you know, and he's like, yeah, they know me here now. They get it ready for me when I come in. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm sure the people that he works with give him holy hell all the time, right. you know, but right. like he's doing, you know, he's like, no, but this is what I'm doing. This feels right to me. You know, there's, yeah. there's something to be said about that. There's a, you know, a lot of it is esteem i think and and you know and it it just takes more work to be different and i think a lot of dietitians who question things like veganism they don't expect people to do the extra work required and Mm. so they're saying well you know this is hard and most vegans say yeah i I think it is hard and you know what i'm going to do it because i'm motivated right well i think that there's there's a condescension with that right i think uh and i believe dr gregor talked about this on the podcast as well where a lot of doc, it's not that doctors don't know that if somebody is chronically ill, that incorporating more fruits and vegetables <laughs> into their diet is is you know is going to be a good thing. They just don't think people are going to actually do it, so they don't address it as a viable protocol because right. they think people just are going to blow it off. But right. maybe trust people a little bit more, or you know, if you find somebody who seems appropriately motivated, then. That should be something that is at least provided as a viable right. option or right. one of, you know, one thing to do along with other things. And and that's like sort of the intuition a good health practitioner should have. Mm-hmm. Right. So do you ever have people, uh, I'm sure you do, <laughs> that come to you and say, you know, I was... I was vegan, but it didn't work for me. And, you know, I felt lousy and I went back. You, I mean, you mentioned it. They got the person who said, oh, I had eggs and I felt better. I mean, what do you... How do you usually um, respond to something like that? You know, um, iron is an issue for women, you know, if you're an omnivore, vegan, whatever. And it's something that, you know, vegan women need to think about. And I've found, I've said, you know, I've looked at the diet record and say, hey, my numbers are coming up low. You should get this checked. Mm-hmm. And um, and I've, I've had clients do that and, and show low iron. And then we can address that with diet. Mm-hmm. So iron with women. Yeah. Um, total calories, we already said. Oh, you said if someone came to me and, and they 
or having trouble with being vegan. Um, I would or do, like I, yeah. you know what? I used to do that, but I can't, I couldn't do it. Mm. I felt lousy or. Oh, got it. So we started talking about this earlier and said, you know, I've seen both extremes, like a whole day without eating fruits and vegetables. And then the other extreme is restricting, restricting, restricting to like, okay, fat is bad. Okay, nuts are bad. GMO is bad. Non-local is bad. And you're not left with much mm-hmm. because, you know, food is politicized. And, and this is where it borderlines on eating disorder because you want to do what's best. And you eliminate so many things that you're just not left with enough food to get the nutrients you need. Right. Or it just becomes too much of a pain in the ass. Right. right? Like, what? Uh, I, have to be, I have to check all these boxes just to have dinner and yeah. feel okay about myself. Right. You know, that's exhausting. Yeah. And then if you're only eating vegetables, like, it's a hell of a lot of vegetables to eat to meet your nutrient needs, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a moment where you thought... I can't do this anymore. Or have you been full on in since you were 17? <laughs> you know, or have you I, had lapses. You know, I, I joke that I couldn't imagine at, at 35, it would be a lot harder to totally switch my diet. But at 17 as like a motivated, angsty, like mm-hmm. punk, I was like, I'm going to do this no matter what. And, um, you know, having an Italian American mother who taught me how to cook and then like buying tofu for the first time and, you know, cutting off a piece and popping it in my mouth and like gagging because I thought it would taste like something and it tasted mm-hmm. like nothing, you mm-hmm. know. And then I was so amped on it, that this idea of veganism that I didn't care and I just figured out how to cook it. You know? Right. And so it's, you've never looked. Yeah. Never I mean, I, I haven't looked back. I mean, traveling internationally can be tough. Mm-hmm. You know, you do what you can. You know, I've been in rural Mexico and I've, uh, you know. <laughs> rice and beans. Yeah, man. rice and beans with maybe some other stuff that yeah. <laughs> you right. don't want to eat, you know. <laughs> um, good. And, the, and uh, the, uh, I just lost my train of thought. Um, oh, yeah, I know what I want to say. You said uh, choking on tofu and it reminded mm-hmm. me that another, because you're a registered dietitian, I have to ask you this question because it's sort of like the coconut oil question, <laughs> you know, this is soy good or bad. You know, there's, there's these different camps on this yeah. too, like yeah. nothing wrong with soy. Soy is a superfood and you know, oh man, soy and the, the estrogens and you got to be careful. And, yeah. and my understanding has always been, you know, I opt for the fermented versions mm-hmm. of soy, non-GMO soy tempeh and then i'm kind of you know i don't i don't drink soy milk i'll drink almond milk instead i I try to avoid like the gmo soy or the non-fermented versions of that but i'm interested in your perspective yeah i i think you know up to three or four servings a day of soy is totally healthy i don't think there is really evidence that it is bad for you i think a lot of it you know goes back to the western a price foundation you know and like i was saying earlier about hundreds of thousands of studies about soy and to get a couple that are like oh maybe this means it's not good for you doesn't tilt you know decades of evidence Uh so even these people that are saying that it it boosts estrogen levels and it can screw up people's menstrual cycles and all that kind of stuff are those vetted studies or are those outlying kind of perspectives or i mean i'm sure you've heard that stuff right yeah yeah i i think they're they're outliers and it hasn't been replicated enough and a lot of it is like philosophical like taking a study that shows oh maybe it does this and then saying well it probably does like drawing these strong conclusions Mm -hmm. from weak evidence because it fits with you know what they want to say right i see that's interesting um i mean what are there other uh kind of long-held beliefs about certain kinds of foods like soy that 
you feel strongly about like you may be addressing maybe not but i thought i'd ask you know i've seen recently this sort of like anti-fruit thing mm -hmm. about um well that's part of the that's part of the low carb that's part of the yeah. low carb thing so yeah. you know no sugar my buddy Vinny, who i love to death Vinny <laughs> i just met him oh yeah. you did you met him where'd you meet him i met him at 508 oh you did year. oh okay yeah. good yeah. Did you, how was how'd that go? <laughs> you know, he he didn't know who I was. Oh, he didn't. And you oh, know, okay. I, I said hello, and, and I didn't want to debate with him. And it was uh -huh. funny because I had a copy of No Meat Athlete in my hand to give to Chris Kosman. Oh, you did. Yeah, uh -huh. and um, I share a mutual friend with him, and so they were chatting and hanging out. And you know, I was like, oh, I don't want to argue with the dude. I right. fl I flipped through his book, you know, and there's no index. I wanted to look up bananas because uh -huh. I'd heard on was it your podcast that he said bananas make you fat. Uh, I don't think that, that was somewhere. on mine. I'm sure it was on his, yeah. probably. And so I did the race as a team this year with the same team I had done in 2007. We mm. did a fixed gear team, you know. It was yeah, fun I to saw go that. Out there. And uh, so in the middle of the night, he was there at some like turn to make sure people went the right way, and our van pulled over. And I said, oh, hey. He's like, hey, how are you guys doing? I'm like, we're great. Do you have any extra bananas? Oh, you said that to Vinny? <laughs> yeah. What did he say? And he said, oh, no, I don't have any. I'm like, oh. I'm like, we, we need bananas. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I love Vinny. We're talking about Vinny Tortorich, if you don't know. He has a he has a popular podcast called America's Angriest Trainer. <laughs> and, he, and he has this sort of, uh, you know, boisterous online persona. He's very brash and outspoken. And he is that in person. But he's also a sweet guy. I've known him for years. We're friends. We've trained together. We have mutual friends. We hang out. You know, it's it's all that. There's a lot of bluster there too. But, but his kind of one of his 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 sort of crowning principle is this no sugar, no grains thing. Mm -hmm. And and he did talk about this on my podcast where I said, all right, well, look, I get the whole high fructose corn syrup and mm -hmm. refined sugar and all of that. We all eat you know ridiculous amounts of that. That stuff's got to go. We can all benefit from getting rid of that. But. But I can't get on the no fruit man wagon. And he was like, well, have you read Gary Taubes? Have you read, you know, Peter Atiyah and all these, you know, citing these sort of these, this is the new, the, this is the advent of the new nutritionist. And yeah. these are the people that are kind of coming up with these new ideas about saturated fat, et cetera. Um, and Vinny's, you know, position essentially is that the body doesn't know the difference, whether it's high fructose corn syrup, refined sugar, or uh, in orange and that in his opinion, you shouldn't be eating fruit. And I said, I just, I can't get, I'm not down with that. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I cannot get on board with that. I eat tons of fruit. I will always eat tons of fruit and the micronutrients, the macronutrients, the sort of minerals and vitamins that are, you know, it's like, I don't, I'm not going to pound jugs and jugs of orange juice, right. but you know, I think eating fruit is part of a balanced, healthy diet, irrespective of whether you're vegan, paleo, whatever you are. Right. And your body does know the difference. I mean, it's fiber. Fiber mm -hmm. is the difference. You know, fiber slows the release of these simple sugars. Mm -hmm. And so it, it changes your, how you, the insulin is released in your bloodstream and it, it's good for you. I mean, have there ever been any, uh, fruitarians that have become type two diabetics? <laughs> not that I know. I of. don't know. You know any. Yeah. Maybe there has been, but I'm not, I'm not aware of any. Right. Right, because you, you would think, like, on that principle, like, you're constantly All they're doing is eating sugar. sugar simple yeah. sugar. But no, they're eating in the whole form. I mean, you're right. Like, orange juice, I would... Any juice, honestly, I would put in closer to, you know, high fructose corn syrup. Mm -hmm. But when you're eating a whole fruit, is it's much different. Your body does know the difference. Right. And and no, listen, nobody here is saying to do what Durian Rider does, which is <laughs> pour refined sugar on your cereal, like a whole bag of refined sugar on your cereal. Have you seen those videos? 
You know, someone just told me recently that he's not raw anymore. I thought he was raw, but now he does refine. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I there. can't keep up. But with I know all that it. there's. I know there's a lot of yeah. controversy and right. all that kind of stuff surrounding him and the the Woodstock Fruit Festival and all that. Yeah, I don't keep up with that as much as maybe I should. Maybe I shouldn't. I you think know. you're 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 doing <laughs> just fine. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. This all relates to sort of science and evidence. It's like there's not enough vegans in the world that have been studied to really know for sure, you know, if they're going to have a definite lower rate of heart attacks, mm -hmm. you know, we can piece it together because they have the components of eating more fruits and vegetables, eating more fiber, eating less saturated fat and all of those things. It's well established that they're good, but there aren't that many vegans that have been studied long enough. So fruitarians, no way, mm -hmm. you know, right. Paleo, no way. You know? Well, also, um, there's different kinds of vegans and there's mm -hmm. different kinds of paleo people. And so you can't, how are you going to really perform a study that's going to have any real meaning? Right. And it, I think it, that also plays into the doubt, the whole doubt thing. Well, there aren't any studies. So, well, that must not be, you know, well, we don't know. And that uncertainty perpetuates the status quo. Mm -hmm. But we do know there's lots of studies on fruits and vegetables being good for you, whole grains being good for you, legumes being good for you. Like those things are clear. The people who eat more of those whether vegetarian, vegan, or just plant-based, um, we do have studies saying that that is better. They have better health outcomes. They're less likely to get cardiovascular disease. Like, that information's pretty clear. Right. I mean, for me, I ha it always boils down to two things for me, which is the argument 
to at least from an athletic performance point of view mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to not be a vegan is that you're missing the protein, the quality protein that you need to perform as an athlete. Other than that, I don't know that there's really another valid argument. Yeah. I mean, some people so, don't talk about iron, but right. All right. So iron. Okay. But all I know is that that's never been an issue for me. So right. I feel like I've, I've dealt with that and right. you know, I'm getting the, you know, protein is made up of amino acids. And if I'm getting those amino acids through different sources and even understanding that they're the assimilation of those is different, whether it's an animal food or a plant food. Right. If I'm eating sufficient amounts of that, I can bank on the idea that I'm probably absorbing enough of it to, to you know, get me where I want to go. And also yeah. understanding that there's a lot of misconceptions and overemphasis on protein as being this thing that we need so much of. When right. in truth, everything I've read that comes from studies that have nothing to do with vegan or whatever is saying we're eating too much protein. If you're right. getting like between 10 and 15% in your diet, you're, you're, you're where you need to be. Right. And then, um, <clears throat> so then I'm like, well, all right. So I think I'm good. I continue to feel good. But the second point I wanted to make is this idea of if you, if you extract the ethics argument out of it, which I don't because mm-hmm. ethics are mm-hmm. important to me, but just for purposes of this, point I want to make let's take ethics out of it and um, (laughs) I just lost my train of thought again no the idea is uh, oh yeah yeah yeah. to um, to never remain to never become like too dogmatic about what you're doing right Right. like if I woke up one day and I said you know I feel horrible I don't have any energy this has been going on for months I'm doing everything right I called Matt. He told me my diet's right. You know what I mean? I'd go, maybe I am missing something. And then I would have to, as a logical, sort of open-minded person, entertain the possibility that I'm missing something in my diet that could be provided from animal products. In eight years of doing this, that hasn't happened yet. But I always try to remember that I need to be that way. Like, I don't want to be a closed-minded person who's so holding on so tight to this mantle of, like, this Mm -hmm. is who I am. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, is I've painted myself into a corner here because now I'm the plant-based athlete guy. Yes, and you know yes, what I mean? Yes. So it's like, what am yeah. I going to do if I wake up one day? I'm going to be yeah. like the world's hugest pariah <laughs> if I suddenly ate animal products. But that day hasn't arrived. Like, I still feel good. I don't see any reason to um, go back. And yet at the same time, I continue to learn. And what I eat now is different than what I ate two years ago mm-hmm, and certainly mm-hmm. different than what I ate four years ago. Right. And, and, and that's why I'm careful about how I promote, you know, how I promote veganism. I say there are a lot of reasons to go vegan and you can do it in a healthy way. Here's how, uh-huh. you know, I don't say this is the ideal diet by any means. Um, but it can be. And I think you touched on a few things here that I do want to mention so that people listening aren't like, okay, he interviewed a dietitian and he talked about tattoos and punk. Um, <laughs> you what mentioned, do you mean we're talking about food here? <laughs> so you mentioned iron, for example. And I think a critique is that you know non-heme iron, which is right. what's found in plant, mm-hmm. isn't as readily absorbed. And that's true. But you, know, you add vitamin C. And I don't mean the supplement. Mm-hmm. I mean foods with vitamin C. And absorption increases fivefold. And avoid times. avoid uh, tannins right. at the same time, yeah, right? Right. Don't do. Don't drink coffee and tea at the same time. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's way too complicated, <laughs> Matt. I can't be expected <laughs> to remember that. Right. And 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 then another thing is like just serving sizes. People are like, well, you know, half a cup of cooked spinach has this much iron. It's like, 
Right, but once you're vegan long enough and you're starting to understand it, you see how small half a cup is as a serving. Mm-hmm. You know, you eat monstrous servings of fruits and vegetables. So yeah. Therefore, you're multiplying out these percentages. Right. I mean, I could eat two bags of spinach, like, no problemo. I right. mean, if you saute them, or, and they turn into nothing. You know yeah. what I mean? You could eat yeah. them easily. Yeah. So. so I was at a restaurant, and, you know, we asked for, you know, extra vegetables. as a Thai place, you know, with our... Um, had CU or something like oh can we have extra broccoli and they're like sure you know it's a dollar fifty like yeah, no problem and they brought out like four pieces of broccoli uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like yeah. four pieces and that's that's most people's idea of like the amount of broccoli that you would eat in a meal you know right I mean I think you know for the most part and sort of again let's push aside the outlying kind of cultures like the Inuit or whatever but mm-hmm. I think predominantly and for the most part even from a, a paleontology point of view you know, meat was precious and rare and a delicacy. And through the ages, whether it's the Mediterranean diet or what have you, that Mm -hmm. meat was kind of the delicate, the delicacy side dish to a plate that proliferated with vegetables, whole grains, legumes, seeds, and nuts. Right. And, you know, my ethical vegan friends hate when I say this, but you can eat small amounts of animal products and be healthy, Mm -hmm. you know, but what is important is what you're doing most of the time. And that, you know, absolutely has to be plant-based. I mean, that's where the evidence is that you're eating Mm -hmm. mostly plants. Mm -hmm. And not to, to sort of impose this mantle upon you that, that because you're a a vegan (laughs) and a registered dietitian, that you're also an environmentalist, but you know, another kind of popular, uh, idea is this grass-fed idea like well if we all just ate grass-fed it's more compassionate um and you know it's obviously healthier um and i i'm not an expert in this Mm -hmm. area at all but i can't imagine that if if suddenly everybody decided they were going to be grass-fed that there we don't we can't it's not a a sustainable solution to feed everybody right we in, in order to feed people what do we have? Seven billion people on the planet yeah. right now. If we're going to feed people animal products, then that requires a factory institution in order to provide sufficient amounts of that to yeah. feed everybody the way that they currently eat. And space and resources. I mean, it, it's it's math about how how much you need to feed a cow in order to get the edible portions mm-hmm. of it out, and and that's unsustainable. I think there is, and again, this is something I sh- probably should know more about than I know, but I think there's an argument floating around or an article somewhere about the, the myth of, you know, the, there's a certain pride among vegans, like, well, if you, if you eat this way, it's more sustainable. Like, this is the way to save the planet. And I think if you do the math, you say, well, if you're not eating animal products, like, if you look at the, the, the sort of um, ecological footprint of that, it's, it's far less than mm-hmm. the way that most people eat. If everybody did that, we would, we could solve a lot of problems. We could feed the planet. We could, yeah. you know, r- reverse greenhouse gases and all of these things. Um, I, I know there's some arguments floating around though that say this is actually a myth. That's not true. Or have you seen that? Or, I mean, I, I follow like, you know, Johns Hopkins has, um, they do meatless Monday out of there. What is it? The, they have an Institute that looks at this, um, Johns Hopkins university. And uh-huh. they put out research that looks at this exact topic. It's like, how many calories do you need input? And what do you get output? Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty clear. I mean, right. Lo- livestock's long shadow, the UN report, like we have some data on this. Right. So that, you know? in other words, the, 
the vegetarian myth is not a myth. <laughs> or, I don't know. Right, yeah. right. And people say, oh, you know, we get very influenced by what's immediately in front of us. And it's true for everything. And people see like, you know, a vegan burger, you know, they're individually packaged and they're in a box. And they say, you know, this couldn't be good for the environment. Like it's in mm-hmm. a box and it's in plastic. And it's mm-hmm. like, right, that's because you don't see the waste and the resources that go into a cow and having thousands and tens of thousands of cows in one place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Where's this all heading, Matt? <laughs> you know, are we going in the right direction? I mean, do you, are, you a, are you an optimistic person about... Man, I, I am. I am optimistic. I mean, having been involved with this since the mid-90s and, and seeing so much excitement about this. Actually, while I was um, waiting today um, to meet up with you, I emailed um, a colleague, Annette Larson-Meyer, She's a PhD, RD, I forget what university she's at, maybe Wyoming. And she wrote a book called Vegetarian Sports Nutrition, which I always recommend. And it's not very Mm -hmm. popular because it was put out in academic press. So it's a little harder to find. It's a little more expensive. And I I wrote to her and I said, hey, you need to do another book. You need to update this because this stuff is so much more popular than it was 10 years ago when she wrote it. Mm -hmm. And so, so you're feeling good. I am. I mean, you know, I was on, um, you know, with Matt Frazier, I jumped on the No Meat Athlete book tour for a couple mm-hmm. of weeks, a couple of weeks, 10 days. And um, someone raised their hand and said, you know, now we have your book and Rich Roll's book and Scott Jorick's book. Like, what did you do before those books? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow. I'm like, what do you mean? There's like dozens of books. Right. And I'm like, oh, this is starting right now for this person. Right. This and is, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is cool. Let's talk about Matt Frazier for a minute. <laughs> that guy's the best, right? It was so fun. You know, I just, you know, I worked with him. I've written for his website and then, you know, we ended up, I ended up co-authoring his book and just, how did that, so he just guy. asked you to come on to yeah, work with him on it? Yeah. We just got talking and I was going to contribute. And then the more we talked, the more we found that I could contribute. So it just made sense to make me a co-author. Right. So for somebody who might be new to the podcast, Matt Frazier, it, he has a website called No Meat Athlete. He's a mensch of a guy, and uh, he's constantly putting out really helpful, accessible content for the everyman or the runner or the athlete. Um, and his book that Matt co-authored is called No Mean Athlete. Yeah, and it is a guide to yeah. eating healthy and um, exercising. And it, it's very useful. A lot of people I show it to say, wow, this is really good. This is mm-hmm. very useful information in a readable way. Right. It's it's essentially a, a very accessible guidebook mm-hmm. to kind of making these changes and making it easy and making it work for you. Yeah. And that's kind of Matt's whole ethos. First of all, that guy has figured out the internet. I don't I know. know. He <laughs> won, man. <laughs> he, did, he definitely <laughs> won the internet. You know, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm doing my, and he does it. He like makes stuff happen. You know, he's he like, does. I'm doing my own book tour. He like scheduled the whole thing. He's like, you know, I, he was on the road for how long, you know, yeah. and he was in yeah. every city and had people show up and like, so positive the whole amazing. time. Oh my God. It's incredible. I, I love it. I mean, it was so cool to sit and like hear his, presentation like eight times or whatever time i heard uh-huh. it and, like it was motivating me like the sixth time i heard it i'm like yes 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 because he's such a positive example right and, and that's what we need more of you know mm-hmm. he's not dogmatic about these things and um he's an ethical perspective on veganism which is nice to hear in sort of the sports world and right. uh, yeah great guy for sure i mean i think there we're, we're definitely closing in on a little bit of a malcolm gladwell kind of tipping point moment where, you know, something that you've been doing for so long, suddenly other people like this woman who's saying, oh, you know, these books, people are 
starting to become interested in something that previously was such a marginalized kind of way of living. And I think it's a reflection, like you have to sort of say, well, why now or what's going mm-hmm. on now that's making this a bit of a zeitgeist thing. And I think people are just, you know, they're tired of the BS. They're tired right. of feeling lousy. They're tired of being lied to by marketing companies or advertisements that are that they can now see are completely transparent and they're looking for sustainable solutions. It's sort of like the carnival barker, like, Hey, lose, you know, lose 10 pounds overnight or, you know, whatever little, the next little diet gadget is people are, are fatigued of that because people know that they don't lose weight that way. It doesn't stay off. And like, how are they going to actually master this? You know, part of my whole philosophy with both nutrition and exercising is that we're told all of the time, like, Hey, this is hard. You don't want to do anything hard. Do it the easy way. You'll feel better. You want to relax, you know? And and my philosophy is, you know what? Cooking can be really fun. It's a mm. skill and you can do it with other people and you like create something that you then get to eat, you know? It's like win, win, win. And then same thing with exercise. It's like our world wants us to just sit in the couch, then sit in the car and then sit in our desk. And it's hard to go out and do those things, but you know what? It can be really rewarding. And right. I think that's where there's a lot of progress to be made. Well, I think also, yeah, we're, we're sort of, we've been sort of driven or programmed into this place where we think what makes us happy is the big flat screen TV or the new iPad or all these things that ultimately that we're, we're told will help us be closer to our fellow man, but which in actuality are isolating us. Right. And you know, every sort of enlightened master from any kind of spiritual perspective or religion will tell you that happiness is directly correlated to the extent to which you cultivate community around you. Yes. And cooking and exercise are great ways to have community in your life. Cooking, you know, we're not talking, you know, don't cook alone in your home. Bring some mm-hmm. friends over and do it together. Or don't go out running alone. Join a group and go out with and do it with friends. And the more that you can kind of cultivate that and bring that into your life you're going to be a happier person even though it seems like it would make you happier to sit at home with a giant tv and watch your favorite show on uninterrupted i know that's my default that's what (laughs) inside of me like is the there's this voice saying that's what i want but i know that that's not what i really want yeah yeah and i'm so privileged in that i grew up sort of with this like punk rock and like BMX community. And like 20 years later, there's a lot of these people are still my close friends. And, you know, we got to Austin, Matt Frazier and I, and we met up with Rip and he said, Rip mm-hmm. Esselstyn, and he said, oh, are you guys staying in hotels? And, and Matt says, no, this Matt here knows vegans in every city. Uh-huh. And it's true. And it's a community. <coughs> and it is, it is people that I can say, hey, we're doing this book thing. Can, you know, we sleep in your couch in your spare room. And they're like, yes, of course. How else can I help you? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a great feeling. And, and I, I want to extend that to more people to build that. Right. That's sort of the, uh, the model of, uh, what's her name? Amanda, the musician who did the Kickstarter thing and the Ted talk. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Then ended up getting all this blowback, but, uh, (laughs) but yeah, her whole thing was creating community around her music. And then she would travel all over and stay at people's houses that, that she had met along the way. Right. And it's cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's how like exercise and stuff has been for me. It's like, I hated gym class. I, I hated having to run the mile because it seemed like work and like something you were forced to do. And what I found is that like going out on my bike, it's like builds community. It's like, you see someone else cycling and you're like, Hey, where are you headed? You know, what are you up to? And right. you don't pull up to a stoplight in your car and lean out to the person next to you and say, Hey, what's up, man? You know, I know <laughs> I, like a, a great example of that is before we, uh, 
when when I first walked in the house and met you, I was when I was driving over here, I was thinking, I bet Matt knows this guy that I went to law school with, who I know lives in San Diego. And they just seem like for I had there was no logical like well they're kind of both straight edge kind of guys and yeah but San Diego is a big city like why would these guys know well they kind of have the same interests but there was no it's not like I knew a guy who knew who I knew knew you or whatever and I was like but you know Paul Torkin right and you're like yeah I know Paul like he's a guy I went to let so hey Paul if you're listening we're talking about you buddy I miss you come ride your bike up and let's hang out. Yeah. Um, but that's a perfect example of community around because he got in cycling and yeah, and it, and it's helped me so much. I mean, for these crazy races like Furnace Creek 508 and like you know 24 hour mountain bike races, you need a crew of people. And what I found is mm-hmm. that when you like you know put out good in the world and you say, hey, can anyone drive 12 hours, stay up all night, and hand me food at two in the morning? People say, yeah, sure, no problem. Right. And that's a privilege. You mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So let's get into the sports aspect of it i mean first of all we need to point out that you don't own a car and you live in (laughs) you live in southern california so i'm fascinated by how that works you're coming up you come up to la like once a week from san diego yeah it feels like that you know i mean i lived in la for you know eight years it still feels like home did you have a car when you lived here no i didn't so you've never you you have a driver's license i I can drive a car yeah i have to rent a car more often than i want to admit um mostly to drive my bike places to go riding Uh um but yeah you know it's like veganism it's like you got to work a little bit harder and, right. But there are a lot of rewards with that. Uh huh. So what are the rewards? <laughs> I mean, community. I mean, riding a bike in LA and meeting people, and um, it just you. A city. That's your bike right there, right? Yeah, behind you. Yeah, okay. my road bike. Right. You know, one of six. Uh-huh. You know how it is. <laughs> um, you know that I save. Oh, you save so much money not having a car. I'm like, well, actually, do you know any cyclists? You don't yeah. save that much money. So, yeah, it's just, um, you know, L.A. is is such, I have such a different experience riding my bike here and being around and knowing the neighborhoods and the side streets and, you know, pulling over and going, oh, what is that restaurant? And just hopping the curb and going and checking it out. And you Mm -hmm. you can't do that in a car. You have a very, uh, a much more tactile kind of experience of the city that way. Right. And again, not everyone can do it all the time but you know what a lot of people could probably take some of their trips by bike oh i mean and well los angeles is the most isolating city in the world you yeah know, everybody just they get so they get up in the morning they get in their car and they drive and then they go to their office or what have you and you don't interact with people and it's that's why you know I, i'm like i i need to be going back to new york you know yeah. a couple times a year like i need that experience of being on the street and interacting with people and you know, I miss that. And you just don't have that here. You have to really seek it out. It doesn't come easy. And LA has, you know, as soon as I got here in 2003, I just touched base with other cycling folks and it has grown so much. And I mean, in another 10 Mm -hmm. years, Portland, watch out. I think Los Angeles is going to rival you as a big Uh city. That's a challenge. Yeah. People in Portland I mean, aren't going to be very happy about that. I mean, we, are, we already have better vegan food, so I mean. <laughs> oh, snap. Oh, no. You sure? You sure about I mean, that? Except maybe Portobello. Portobello is fantastic. Where do, you, where, do you, uh, where do you like to eat in L.A.? What, what restaurants are your favorite? Oh, man, good question. Um, you know, we have excellent burritos in lots of places. Yeah. Um, you know, there's like, there's a little Thai place in MacArthur Park that is just my favorite. It's like, it's called Thai Food Express. It's in MacArthur Park neighborhood. 
Uh-huh. You know, so have, right have, after you get your your <laughs> you buy your heroin, you can go <laughs> and get your Thai food. Yeah, it's it's a uh, rough neighborhood, sure, but um, it's safe, it's fine, and uh, you know they they have mock chicken. It's just a little hole in the wall place, and, uh, and I think they have some Buddhists in their family or something, and it's just like such good Thai food. You know what's it called? Yeah. You don't know? It's called Thai Food Express. Uh, okay, and it's, it's so my for favorite place to all eat. All right, cool. So <laughs> for all the Angelinos that are making their way down to MacArthur Park. <laughs> Um, and, 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 you know, it's like, you know, having Ethiopian food readily available. And, and then of course the vegan places like, um, God, what are some of my favorite, like Sage mm-hmm. is a good one. Um, Flore is a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, off the top of my head, those are the ones that come to mind. I ate India sweets and spices today, right. the vegetarian place. Mm-hmm. And they're great. So that, that's an interesting response. It's a very democratic response because you could have easily said, oh, I love uh, Crossroads or I love, you know, Cafe Gratitude. And, mm-hmm. and there are certainly a lot of, you know, high-end vegan eateries that are kind of the, the bastion of the hoi polloi and they're mm-hmm. expensive. And, and that's another kind of issue that comes up, which is, you know, I can't afford to eat a plant-based diet. This is, this is something that only fancy people do. Right. And you're like, Oh, the burrito stand, you know, I love these little, these barrio, you know, burrito stand, wherever. And you're, you're improvising and you're finding ways to do it. And, and those are not expensive. Right. Right. Op- right. Options at all. Right. It's like people are like, oh, I, c- I couldn't be vegan because Whole Foods is expensive. It's like those are two completely different things. And mm-hmm. especially in Los Angeles and all the markets we have and the ethnic markets and the produce that you can find, you know, for cheap. Right. I went to, uh, you know, Vallarta market in the valley. No. I was mm-hmm. like deep in the valley. Yeah. I bought, I, I like did an experiment. Um, I can't find the file now. I made a video and now I can't find it. But because okay. <laughs> I haven't posted it. But, uh, I went to Whole Foods and I, I go, oh, Blueprint Juice, you know, which is tasty, but they're like eleven dollars each, you know. <laughs> right. I was like, wow, two Blueprint juices after tax—that's about twenty-five bucks, right? right? right. Twenty-five dollars for two twelve-ounce juices. Wow. And uh, I was like, I wonder what what I could get for twenty-five bucks at Viarda, which is just a, you know, it's a it's a grocery like a low-cost grocery store deep in the San Fernando Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went there and I filled an entire shopping cart of produce and it was like 24 50 or something like that you know and so it's like what are the other for people that are that want to do this but they're they are of the idea that it's expensive i mean what are some of the ways to reduce the costs you know a a trade-off is doing some more work right it's it's a privilege to go and eat at expensive restaurants and the other side of that is having to do the work to make the food yourself Mm mm-hmm but that can be enjoyable. And then once that becomes a habit, it's much easier and takes less time. Right. I think you know? there's there's startup costs. Like you got to buy, you know, like I need to get my, whether it's flax oil or certain things that mm-hmm. are a little bit more expensive. Once you have them, you, they, they last for like six months or something like that. Right. 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 And, and, and when we look at it, it's like a base of a diet should be whole grains. You know, brown rice isn't too expensive. And then beans you know you can buy dry beans and soak them yourself and Mm -hmm. you know even though it takes a long time you know you soak it overnight and it cooks for you know hour and a half you can be doing something else while that's happening Mm -hmm. what about grains (laughs) that's the other that's that's the uh, other side of the vinnie tortorich coin and there we did we talk about the no sugar but then there's the no grain thing and that and that no grain thing i think gets into issues of gmo or sort of refined grains and how they're kind of mimic sugars and all of that. But, you know, is there a difference between, you know, uh, a, a refined grain and 
you know, long grain brown rice yeah. or yeah, I mean, these it, other like what I think are healthy grains, which I eat plenty of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're getting that whole like outer component, you know, of the grain, you know, literally the whole thing is what you're eating, which is why it's called whole grains. And so you're getting more fiber, more protein, more micronutrients, mm-hmm. more phytochemicals. Is there any evidence that these things are bad? Like I've never, never even seen a link to like a research study that said. You what know, about this? There's this whole bad. grain brain thing though about, and, and maybe this possible link to is it Alzheimer's or is that gluten oriented or I don't know. Again, another issue that I'm not an expert on. You know, one of these, I read one of these articles on one of these sites, and I, and I think this is where it gets dangerous with sort of veganism and fringe. Is was it? One of the like green something, I, I don't know, I don't want to call out the wrong site in case it mm-hmm. wasn't them, but they posted something about this link to grain and Alzheimer's. And it was written by a physician and he, I don't know if it was one of the anti-grain guys, maybe he has a book, and he linked some articles. So I followed those articles. And then those articles mentioned research studies. So I looked up those actual research studies. What he wrote was not connected in any way to the studies that he cited. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do they get away with this? And I emailed the website, you know, who also promotes vegan stuff. And I said, this is dangerous for you to be doing. This mm-hmm. is just wrong. And no response. Right. Interesting. And I feel like there's a lot of that. Well, of course there's a lot. I mean, the internet is, that's right. what the internet right. is right. based right. upon. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it's, it's hard as a consumer because you want to rely on what you're reading. And if yes. somebody has footnotes, then it's like, well, I'm not going to read what those footnotes are, but the simple fact that there are footnotes, this yes. guy must know what he's talking about. So I'm going to believe him. Right. 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 And so as, as tr- somebody who's trying to make educated choices, it becomes harder and harder. It is. It is. And, and people reach out to me because they want to feel more confident in what they're doing. And mm-hmm. so I try to give them the resources, one, to like actually do it in a practical way. And then two, like I send them to research and books that, you know, I feel strongly about and that I can recommend. Right. Okay. All right. So 508, how many times have you done the 508? I've done it three times solo. And twice three times solo. Yeah. I didn't know you'd done it that many times solo. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Three what years year, in a what, row. what years did you do it? Eight, nine and 10. 2008, 2009. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I think Vinny did it in 2008 and 2009. I 2008 know. he did. I yeah. Sure. I was out there one year. I've been out there like nine years in a row mm-hmm. or something wow. one way or another because I've helped with the race too. And I remember I was out there once when he was riding for sure. Uh-huh. He goes by Pound Puppy. What's your, because yeah. at 508, everybody has to have a nickname. That's how they you're identified. What was your nickname? Was Desert Locust. <laughs> how do you decide these things? <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, I have a bike club called Swarm. Uh-huh. You know, S-W-A-R-M apostrophe. And so uh, a few friends of us who have done it tried to pick um, things that swarm i like got locusts. you this is swarm an acronym for something no it was just an active word that uh, just right it's, it good. fits your sort of punk straight edge ethos yeah right yeah all right so <laughs> desert <laughs> locust um and uh and what i mean were you when did you start getting into cycling so it was, it was that cross-country trip really did it for me. And, mm. you know, I didn't even want to wear the spandex. I was like, I will never be one of those guys that wear spandex, you know. But then anyone who rides a bike knows you need the spandex if you're riding a uh-huh. lot. And then I moved to California, and I was just taking trips on my bike and enjoying it and never really thought of myself as a racer until I was helping a friend train for AIDS life cycle. Mm-hmm. And we did a century. And I saw these people wearing these jerseys that said, California triple crown 200 miles in one day Mm -hmm. and I didn't even know that was possible 
And then so long story short, I got involved in that community of doing double centuries. And then sort of the uh, race from that is yeah, the 508. the 508. So for people that don't know, uh, the 508 is sort of the cycling uh, version of Badwater. It's a 508-mile cycling race. You ride 508 miles consecutively without stopping uh, through and across Death Valley. You ride you know, the same roads that, that, you ride, that you run in the Badwater race. And it's it's definitely considered you know the sort of um, crown jewel of the ultra cycling <laughs> world, with the exception of Ram, I suppose. Right. Um, but it's definitely a high prestige race, and uh, that's no small thing, man. I mean, you know, I've done some crazy stuff, yeah. and I've ridden my bike long distances, but 500 miles consecutively <laughs> without stopping is something that I'm very unsure of whether I would be able to do, if for no other reason than I can't my my butt like i can't sit on the saddle that long i get saddle sores and it just becomes unbearably painful so i'm interested in kind of <laughs> you know how how it went the first time and what you've learned and and kind of um you know what the future holds for you with that you know i i i was very very cautious in approaching this because i didn't really have an athlete background and double centuries just seemed like a fun way to spend my day mm-hmm. I'm like 200 miles in one day wow 16 hours okay and I started to do more of those and it started to come kind of naturally. It's like, this fits with my personality, being out exploring all day, mm-hmm. 200 miles. And then a good friend of mine, uh, <coughs> Morgan Beebe, goat is his, uh, his totem. Uh-huh. He said, I'm going to do 508 this year. And he had just gotten into ultra cycling in March and said, in October, I'm going to do 508. Wow. And he just, he pushed the ceiling because we thought, no way, how is this even possible? And he mm. said, I'm going to do it. And he was a PhD student at the time at UCLA. So he's kind of of that mentality of you just do it. And, um, that, and we crewed for him and it was my first year out there and he finished and it just, it sucked me into the whole yeah. environment. Well, after you crew, you're like, either you're like, I don't want anything to do with that. Or you're like, I'm in. There's right. no, there's very little people. People aren't usually neutral about it. Right. You know? <laughs> you're going to come down one way or the other. Yeah. And it, it, it seems so insane, like looking back, you know, to ride 500 miles straight, but you sort of build your way toward it. And I was doing, um, I love mountain biking. It's like the mm-hmm. skateboarding of cycling, you know, and I got into 24 hour races and I thought, okay, well, I just need to keep going. Road bikes are faster and I just need to train my way up to it. Mm-hmm. And so, and so what did the training look like? So I, I started with, you know, doing the mega miles thing, which when I look back, you know, wasn't the smartest, but on the other hand, I had that huge base, you know, I probably rode 10,000 miles in like the first year I was Mm -hmm. really into it. Just, you know, Saturday and Sunday, back to back centuries. And then, um, I did, um, Paris, Brest, Paris, which is the randoneering event Mm -hmm. in 2007, um, it's 760 miles, but you get three days to do it. Right. And I, I took the full three days. Uh-huh. I slept a lot, unlike everyone else. <laughs> and then um, I thought, okay, I can ride far distances. Now I need to get stronger. And then I, I approached it that way. Mm-hmm. And so to get stronger, did that mean like hill repeats or interval work or gym work? I mean, were you, you know, break that down a little bit? Yeah. I, I, I started then to be an advocate of the gym and, you know, Pilates and yoga and light weights just to build some good, like solid strength and Mm -hmm. then working on shorter, faster rides, some intervals and like lots of hills. And what I found is that being a bigger guy for a cyclist, you know, um, hills were hard. Mm -hmm. And so I trained them over and over. And that helped so much for 508. Mm -hmm. And so the first year that you did it, 
what kind of, you know, what was your, I mean, what's going on? <laughs> I mean, I could get through, you know, to like, I could foresee myself, you know, what I'm going to feel like at 250 miles. But then beyond that, I have no experience. Like, right. I don't know what that looks like. You know, you, it's mental. Like once you get to the physical fitness level, it becomes mental and you need to really work on that aspect where you break it down mentally, where you're like, okay, it's Saturday morning and I'm going to be riding until Sunday night. Mm -hmm. And once you accept that, it becomes easier, not easy, but easier. Mm -hmm. And I, I broke it down in, you know, first 200 miles and then you hit Towns Pass, which was like a 14 mile climb in right. the Death Valley. Yeah. And I was so excited to be there and amped. And then it's nighttime and it feels like a totally different race. Mm -hmm. You know, you step off the bike for the first time after 12 hours or 13 hours and you eat a little bit of solid food. And then you're like, okay, the next stage of this is me riding until the sun comes up mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you try to reset. Right. So you break it down into like, this is a couple different races. Right. And what I did when Morgan raced, I was his crew chief. I looked through Kostman, Chris Kostman, you know, the mm -hmm. race director keeps great records. And I looked through and saw why most people didn't finish. Overwhelmingly, it was stomach issues. Right. Because I think people don't eat enough while they're riding and then they get starving and then they overeat and then they feel sick and then they quit. Right. I mean, I think you can't approach a race like that or any ultra like that in the same way that you would approach an Ironman and people that are just going liquid the whole time or gels. And and you hear these stories about people that drink Ensure or, you know, mm -hmm. like that kind of stuff and go do Ram and all of that. But I think they're the minority. I think you have to think more like a stage racing cyclist and eat, be eating real food and be yeah. eating, you know, not, not because you're hungry in the moment, but 12 hours from now, your body is mm -hmm. going, you know, you're always eating for the future, for the future, for the future and being conscious of that and making sure that your caloric intake is not going to, um, run you into some deficit that is going to be impossible to pull out of. Right. And you have to train for that. I had to train right. for eating on the bike. And a lot of people don't do that because they train up until where they're comfortable and then hope on like race day, it'll just work out. But mm -hmm. you have to train, you know, 12 hours on the bike. What are you going to eat? What can you feed yourself? Right. And I think, you know, you had this huge base, so then it became imperative for you to work on your strength. But for most people, you've, you, I mean, not, I mean, for everybody, I think you can't circumvent that volume. And I know when Vinny was training for it, um, and I was training for Ultraman at the same time. So we would intersect and do like one day a week, Saturday, uh, he would do his long ride and he would start that ride at generally about two thirty or three in the morning. Wow. And then he would ride until about eight or nine at night that night straight. <laughs> and he would park his truck at the um, Calabasas Commons, which is a little outdoor mall where there's a Starbucks and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And sometimes I would park my car there too and I'd park it next to him. I wouldn't start my long, I do my long ride on Saturday for Ultraman, but I would usually do about a century or something like that. But I knew he would loop back and he would have his nutrition in his truck. So he would do the, you know, the ride from 3 a.m. until like 7 on his own. And then he'd meet friends and ride mm -hmm. with them for several hours and then he would just continue on throughout the day and it was funny because i'd do my part i'd ride with him for some and then i'd do the rest of my ride to finish i'd go home i'd sh shower i'm taking my family out to dinner and then i'd see him out on the bike wow. you know like wow. still going and you're yeah. like yeah because you got to do that and you got to get used to what that's going to feel like right you right. have to have experience with that level of discomfort and what you're 
gastrointestinal tract is telling you and how you're going to deal with that and what your butt feels like. Right, right. And I took a long arc to sort of get there um, because, you know, I wasn't sure I wanted to do 508. And then I, I have a little bit of like ADHD with this stuff because I get bored. And so I was like swimming and running and yoga and Pilates and gym and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff adds up and it all helps. I think a lot of cyclists and runners focus too much on the one thing they do and not mm-hmm. enough on sort of cross training. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, and it really helps. And that's a big point that that Brian McKenzie was making <laughs> when I had him on the podcast, and I agreed with him on that. You yeah. know, I think that that is important, and it's something that does get overlooked, and and particularly, you know, all the muscles that don't get used. The, the, you know, cycling is a very specific fitness, yes. right? And it doesn't translate into other things. You right. know what I mean? Like right. you could go to a yoga class and be super sore because all yes. you've been doing is riding your bike and, and you've got to, you know, make sure that your foundation is strong. And when I say foundation, I mean like the rest of your system, right? Like yeah. you got to have that core strong, you got to have all this and that that's going to allow you to fire on all cylinders on the bike, but you can't overlook that stuff. And for me, it was just like, it was, it was random. I, I didn't have like a specific training plan saying doing all these things to get a whole body benefit. I just did them because I mm-hmm. liked them and I'd get bored. You know, I can only do so many long rides. Right. You know? So saddle sores, you were <laughs> like, what? I mean, like, that's the thing that yeah. I think would bury me. Yeah. So I, first year, um, you know, we'll get to that, but like lows, mental lows mm-hmm. and being prepared for those. Like other times I wanted to quit. Yes. Did I absolutely hate it? Yes. Did I like hate my bike? Yes. All that stuff happens. You know, it's not a jaw ride the whole time, but what I've learned is you sort of like, you like embrace that, like mm-hmm. this super low in the middle of the night and you're cold and you're like, why am I in Death Valley? And it is like rather primal and like, it's like this experience, like 99% of people don't get to have. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the sun comes up and you feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finished and I, I slept for 15 minutes total, um, right when the sun came up and I had some saddle sores for sure. <laughs> and then uh-huh. I got done and, um, basically wanted to pass out. Right. You know, and I think the idea being like you have those low moments, but knowing that if you stick with it, that that will change. Like just because you feel horrible then doesn't mean that you're going to feel that way for the the rest of the day. Right. And then, you know, I'm not going to give these like long, detailed stories of all three times. But the second time was memorable because that was the year where there were 60 mile per hour winds in Death Valley. Right. I remember hearing about that. And I was in really good shape. I mean, between those two races, I did maybe one century. I was Mm. just like strong, strong, strong hill climbing. It was the lightest I'd ever entered. Um, But I also, you know, wasn't taking it too seriously. We got to Furnace Creek 250 miles in, and um, I jumped in the pool at the Furnace Creek Uh Inn, you know, take a little mental break. And then I got back on the bike, and that's when the winds really started. Right. And Morgan, who had finished, you know, a few years prior, was my crew chief. And the winds were so bad, I was in my easiest gear on flat standing up. Wow. And that's just demoralizing, demoralizing. And so I had thought, you know, Morgan said, you're either riding or not. You can't sit. You can't do anything. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed on the van. And I thought, you know what? With the winds, he's bad. It's just going to time out. I'm not going to be able to finish in time. So I'm just going to wait until that point. Mm -hmm. And then so I rode at like six miles an hour for like three hours. Well, I think the other thing that happens is that you think you're the only one who's dealing with that. You know, you think like no one else is having that problem. Right. You know. And it turns out the sun came up, you make a turn, and the wind stopped. And suddenly mm-hmm. I had a burst of energy, which is crazy. I'd been on the bike 24 hours. And I thought, okay, well, let's do this now. Let's make up some time. And I started to push. And then, you know, I got toward the end, and I started passing all these people. 
And I find out that like half the people in front of me had quit because mm. of the wind. Mm-hmm. And so that year I finished 10th, which I was wow. surprised by. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, thank that's you. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> were you riding a traditional road setup? Did you have aero bars or yeah, people a, like tweak out their yeah. rides and do all sorts of crazy, weird, unique things? Right. I mean, I had for all three years, I had a steel road bike. I was riding a seven and, um, I just threw aero bars on there. Mm hmm. That's right. Yeah. And do you ride like a low profile rim? Like do you ride like four oh fours or anything like that? Nope. Or just regular just regular road you know, rims. Regular yeah. road rims. Yeah. 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 I like it, man. <laughs> that fits you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You know, it's just you know, my friends were happy to crew and they had a good time with it. Uh huh. And then and so now you've done it a couple times as mm-hmm. relay too, with mm-hmm. riding a fixed gear. I mean, what's it like riding <laughs> how long were the segments that you were riding as a relay? You know, what happened is in two thousand six we rode the relay. It was Morgan's support crew and then one other guy. Mm-hmm. We're like, you know, it'd be ridiculous to do a fixed gear team and then we just did it for fun. Right. And we had were, anybody ever done that before? No, not as a four person team. Uh huh. That's and, cool. And we still have the record. Um, and we were the bonobos mm-hmm. and uh we raised money for the bonobo conservation initiative. Oh, wow. Yeah, for bonobos in Africa. Cool. Yeah, and it's just fun. It's like we're goofy kids, you know? We right. Like our friend Sasha. She's actually the filmmaker for the Day in the Life that I do now. Uh-huh. She made a little documentary about our 508 experience. It was a lot of fun. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you must have seen um, this. Uh, the, the big thing right now is that um, Death Valley... National Park has denied all permits to all sporting events for yeah. 2014, so there's not going to be a Furnace Creek 508 or a Badwater race in that park. I mean, Chris will figure out different yeah. locations for these races, and these races will take place. They just won't be on the traditional courses. It's so unfortunate. You know, I've been, I went to Death Valley for the first time for 508, and now I love Death Valley. I take people there all the time, and mm-hmm. that was my introduction to it. And it's such a crime. I mean, it's these like, fun haters man it's like come on right i mean do you know is there any behind the scenes story that you know from the other people that you've talked to i mean all i know is what i is these press releases yeah. that i've read yeah I just, and, the, and the one weird article about how it's radiation oriented <laughs> which has you know been debunked or whatever but uh right. it was interesting for five minutes um you know it's a, a new person in a high up position says wait what's happening here no i don't i don't think we should do this let's do a quote safety review you know mm-hmm. and it's just like bureaucracy and like over concern like safests you know yeah have to be super safe about everything all the time there was uh yeah they were like well it blocks up traffic and ingress and egress is a problem and yeah. all that kind of thing and it's Not true. it's true well it's true in the, to the extent that like from bad water at night when you're I'm, you're making that big climb and you look behind you and it's it's headlights as far as you can see from the crew vehicles but the thing is, there aren't that many people out there, like and very, you know, very so few. Yeah. there's so few that it's not like there's a lot of traffic trying to get in and out of there. It's right. In, in fact, when you're out there, you're like, "Who built a road out here, and exactly. why did they build a road? Like, who in their right mind thought it was a good idea to build a road all the way out here?" And it's an engineering marvel because yes. it goes over these mountain ranges and all this sort of thing, and you're just imagining workers working there yeah. under incredibly difficult. Yeah. weather conditions in order to make that road possible it's extraordinary and 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 Kosman knows this and he has a, a great safety record you know he puts a lot of emphasis on safety <coughs> oh know, my he, god i mean the pre-race meeting yeah. is like you know he's like you know he lays it out he's like you cannot you know yes. drop one little piece of garbage out here and if mm-hmm. we see that you're out of the race like it's super hardcore like he's trying to regulate that as best as he can and and 
for the, from what I've seen, everybody falls into line with that because everybody's yeah. on the same page. They know that, that, uh, they're always in jeopardy of not getting the permit, but yeah. nobody, I don't know that anyone ever thought it would actually happen. Right. Right. I mean, people, he, Adventure Corps is like, has created an ethos, right? And people mm-hmm. who do his events, you know, follow suit, you know, they're concerned about safety and they have fun, but you know, they do a really good job. Right. Cool. So, uh, so are you going to do it again? You know, we did the same uh, in 2013, you know, there's the abbreviated route and uh, we did the same team as from 2007, 2006. So the mm-hmm. same four of us did fixed gear again. And that right. was really fun. I hadn't been out there for a couple of years. So it was great. But maybe you're going to have to do it again now with the modified route, I know, right? I know, you're going to have right? to experience that, right? <laughs> How much do you ride these days? You know, I took 2013 off mostly. I raced cyclocross the end of 2012 mm-hmm. and I've been kind of burnt out from these long events. You know, I've done some ultra running, some 50 milers, some 100Ks and that sort of thing. And I just needed a break from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's next? I don't know. I, you know, I, I love, I love Ironman training. Mm-hmm. I do. I love the swimming and running and biking and, and the goal. The variety keeps it fresh for yeah, sure. Exactly. And, and, um, you know, I try to make that stuff interesting. Like I love to run commute. Like someone invites me over for dinner. I'm like, oh, it's seven run miles. Over. I'll run over for dinner and then run uh-huh. home, you know? I love integrating training that way. And so, you know, maybe I'll go back to do Vineman this year. Mm -hmm. But you're not signed up for anything right now. No, I'm not. I'm not. All right. Well, now you're being called out. No, right? You're going to have to sign up for something (laughs) now, right? Either that or um, the New Mexico um, Enchanted Forest 24-hour race is the national championships this year. Mm -hmm. And so um, Mm. I race single-speed 24-hour mountain bikes. So Mm -hmm. maybe I'll go out for that. Wow, that sounds cool. Yeah. 24-hour mountain bike races are the best. Yeah, I've never done anything like that. People should go and just hang out at them. Yeah. More of a party than than cross racing? It's like a 24-hour cross race. Oh, really? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Interesting. With camping, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Super fun. Maybe I'll have to check that out. Yeah. All right, You can do teams and hang out in your fire, and people hang out by the fire and drink beer and then go do a lap and then come back and hang out some more. (laughs) I'm too intense for that. Yeah. You you can race solo then. Just keep going. (laughs) There you go. All right, man. Well, we've been going for a couple hours. I'll let you go. But uh, uh, how many um, how many clients are you currently working with? Oh man, I'm not sure. It's always always new people coming and and and, and you know people coming and going that right. sort of thing. But you're open to new people. Yeah, absolutely, you. absolutely. My website is truelovehealth.com. Yeah, that's right. So that's the best way for people to get a hold of you. Yeah, definitely. I do a lot of speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always available to do speaking events and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have a speaking schedule. Where are you speaking next? You know, I'm trying to think. Of, I don't have a lot scheduled just yet because this um, Engine 2 thing is going to take mm-hmm. some time for sure. Yeah, cool. So you might yeah. be doing some of their immersions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun when I did it. You'll have a great time. They, they, they've really dialed it in. Like it's, it's, it's a really strong event for yeah. anybody who's listening. Uh, the Farms to Forks immersion weekends, are they're very powerful, and they've, they've really helped a lot of people and changed lives. They're right. amazing. So if you, yeah, if you're going to go speak at those, oh, they're, they're fantastic. Cool. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah very cool. Um, and, uh, social media, you're on all Twitter and yep. Facebook and all yep. those kinds of things. Absolutely. Matt Resigno, yep. just at Matt Resigno, right? On Correct. Twitter and Facebook, easy to find. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. What it's else? been a pleasure. Yeah. What else do you want to promote? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know, I'm, um, if we've been talking about this, about Whole Foods is, um, the publisher from No Meat Athlete, uh, approached me about writing a book on superfoods. Mm-hmm. And I just finished a book with, um, Chef Joshua Plogue. Oh, cool. On um, cacao. Oh, wow. A whole book on cacao? 75 recipes, almost all of them savory. 
Wow. So, yeah. Interesting. Choc- chocolate lasagna. Really? Yeah. That's cool. When yeah. is that coming out? In June. June 1st. What, and what's it called? It's called, it's Superfoods for Life. Um, it's a series, Superfoods for Life and uh-huh. Cacao. Cool. Yeah. And what, you've got to write your own book now. I know. I know. Everyone's like, oh, so this, you know? this book you're working on is about vegan athletes? I'm like, no, actually, that book hasn't come out yet. <laughs> right. We'll see. All right. Well, yeah, it's your time, dude. Yeah. Thank you, you know? man. But uh, definitely, if you haven't already, um, check out the No Meat Athlete book. But do it by clicking on the Amazon banner ad at richworld.com <laughs> first, right? Then we both win. Matt wins, I win, and the other Matt wins, Great. Matt Frazier, right? Sounds good, yeah. Cool. How's the book doing? I mean, it was killing it. I haven't looked in a, on Amazon in a while, but like he was, dis- you guys have been destroying like the Amazon rankings up there. It was yeah, crazy. He put in a lot of work, and it's doing well. The publisher mm-hmm. is very happy, and it's getting to a lot of people who I think otherwise haven't heard about this topic mm-hmm. so it's great it's, it's a good great. sign awesome yeah. man yeah all right man well uh thanks for uh thanks for doing this yeah thanks for having me for chatting yeah. so long cool right on all right peace take care man plants, plants.